Here, here's why to me it's like really, really sad. Um, his core audience, the people who consume his music, don't understand the lifestyle that he's portraying. And they really don't understand the, the genuine consequences of what happens when you tiptoe around that lifestyle and then you, you fucking snitch on people. People go away for a really long time. Families are involved. So it's like the fan can't really understand what is actually happening, but they can watch the YouTube videos and laugh. They can go to the concerts and like, then they go back home and like, they're completely devoid of that culture that they just got like pure enjoyment from with none of the downside. What's cooking everybody? If you are on YouTube right now, please, Smash that subscribe button. Hit that like button as well. If you don't, I will find your entire family and execute them in front of you. I'm actually not going to do that. But I want you to hit that button with the desperation as if I would. Because then you hit the button and you got nothing to worry about. Right? It's not hard. It's not a very, very easy decision. So hit that button right there. The like button. All right. Good. We're good. Thank you. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify and not already subscribed on Apple, hit the subscribe button. And if you're not following on Spotify, hit the follow button. And I hope to see you guys again for future episodes. Now, I am joined in the bunker today by none other than Mr. Will Toms, who is the founder of Wreck Philly, which has blown up in Philadelphia, but will also very soon be Wreck New York, Wreck Miami, Wreck LA, Wreck Chicago, Wreck Houston, Wreck the whole bit. Like, he's killing it. So I appreciate him coming in here and sharing a bit about that, but also talking about a lot of other things, like... We spent a little bit on Wreck Philly. We we got into a lot of other stuff. This guy's a very well-measured thinker. I like that. I could talk with someone like that all day. I think you guys will like that too. So hit the like button and enjoy the episode. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trend Fire. Let's go. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. Well, I've had people bring alcohol here a couple times, yeah, but I haven't had someone roll up with tequila. Oh like yeah, before the sun's down too. Let's go, man. Yeah, you're trying to kill me. I Let's go, man. And it's funny, like um, my my drink of choice typically is uh, a whiskey. You know what I mean? Mm. On the darker side. Yeah. But in summertime, man, I'm getting older. I like the I like the the lighter stuff. I like the gin or the tequila. So this this is De Leon. Yeah, De Leon. I don't know if I've heard of them. What's De the Leon, story there? owned by a black man. Ooh, um, nice. Yeah. So it's a uh, black owned tequila. Um, started by Puff, uh, Sean Love Combs, Diddy. P. Wait, this D- is one of Diddy's? Yeah, it's Diddy's newest. God, I should have known that. Yeah. I had no idea. Yep, that's his newest. So, uh, yeah. Gotta, gotta show love to that. Because he's got Ciroc, and then d- Ciroc only makes vodka, though, right? Or right. they? Yeah, just okay. vodka. Yep. So he's got multiple different lines of alcohol now. Yep, absolutely. So, But yeah, the tequila, man, it's, it's nice. I've been in tequila world. I've been in Mezcal lately, too. Have you ever tried Mezcal? Someone, my buddy Nico was on here, was talking about it. He said that's like, because he's a restaurateur. Mm-hmm. So he was saying that's really in right now. Super. Like this year, Mezcal is like 
the taste of choice. Yep. I was like, I haven't had that yet. I love it. It's like, imagine tequila, but like smoky, right? So like, if you like whiskey, it's like what a scotch or bourbon is to whiskey. That's what like mezcal is to tequila. Mm. Do you like it with anything? Just not as good right there. Really? Yeah, straight. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Some savage shit, man. Nah, it's, so it's wait, good, you, you like tequila straight? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm out, I'll probably do a, a drink, you know what I mean? We'll mix it up with some sort of fruit juice or something, but uh, yeah, man, it's good to sip on. That's interesting, because mm-hmm. I, you know, if it's got alcohol in it, I like it. I'm but telling you, here, try it real quick. Get, try it without it. Yeah, it's super smooth. All right, if I choke, it's on you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, brother. <laughs> it's strong. Yeah? It's, not, it's, it's actually, though... That's a lot smoother. Smoother than you'd think, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm used to taking, like, shots of tequila, which is, like, a punishment. Right. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, no doubt. Honest. No doubt. But that right there. Yeah, but this isn't, like, Cuervo or something, you know? No, that that <laughs> didn't burn the back of your throat at all. Right. What's, what's the other one where it's, like, you got to ring the bell or whatever? You know what I'm talking about? What's that? I don't know about it's, that. It's the tequila that, it comes in, like, this, God. Like the skull or something? No, but I know what you're talking about. That's a different one. There's another one that comes in almost like this white vase type thing. Oh, yeah, And then the top's blue, and you got to, like, ring the bell or whatever. That's that's in this year for sure, for sure. Um, I forget what that's called. What is that called? I feel like everyone buys that, and they also buy 1942 at the same time. Yes, That's, like, traditional we at the club, you know, getting our stun on. That's what we drink when we do that. Yeah, see, I'm used to, like, the shitty Cuervo. Yeah, like I mean, the, the college bar. I don't stuff. even know the name of it, so you know I'm not at that that part of my life where I'm buying vase looking bottles at the club. So you're not? I thought you were kinda of balling now. I mean I'm not saying that like I don't go out and have fun and enjoy myself and do that, but <laughs> that's not the way I like to, to spend my breads, at least not yet. I feel you. I feel you. But I listen, thank you for coming in and yeah. doing this. We nice. connected through Miles. I was pretty excited about this because I have always heard about Rec Philly. Right. And like for people listening right now. Obviously, this is something that's focused in Philly, but what you're building is something that can will probably go beyond Philly and is also enormous here. It's very interesting, the whole concept, and I know very little. Awesome. But that's like the thing. It's almost like it's this it's like this club. Like you got you <laughs> gotta be in it. And if you're sure. not in it, it's like, oh yeah, wreck Philly. Yeah. Like you don't know what it is. So just to start off here, can you give like the basic outline of what you guys are and then we'll get to like how you built and also, sure. you know, I'm obviously going to want your thoughts on a whole bunch of things like around the industries that you're working in, which is what we're really going to talk about. Love it. Let's figure love it out. It. Yeah, but I love that perspective. I do feel like uh, we're kind of like the best kept secret in so many ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but what is REC? So uh, REC is first, it's an acronym, Resources for Every Creator. Um, here in Philly, you know, and around the area, we go by Rec Philly. Mm-hmm. And essentially what we are is two things. One, um, you know, a creative incubator and also a creative agency. So for us, at the end of the day, what it's all about is nothing more than just empowering creative people to do more of what we love to do, right? In Philly, you know, we have, I would say, arguably more talented people in, in by capita. There's a lot. Right, than anywhere in the world. Um, but the challenge is folks don't always understand, where do I go to get access to high-level creative tools and resources? Mm. Where do I go if, you know, I want to be able to understand not only how to keep creating, but how to actually build a business around my talent? Um, and then third, where do I go if I want to be around like-minded people, which for us is people who understand, you know, and care about the culture and creativity, but also that business side. So for us, we're an incubator, so we have a space at 9th and Market in Center City, Philly. 
um, 14 private studios from podcast studios to recording studios to dance and movement studios to design studios. How many square feet do you have? We're sitting on 10,000 square feet. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. So it's a a beautiful space, man. Uh, But it's those tools. We've got a Live Nation venue in the back, which is super dope. So people can perform and, you know, all of our educational workshops are happening there. Wait, that's sponsored by Live Nation? Yeah, we're in partnership with Live Nation. No shit. That's really cool. Yeah, it's super fire because, you know, we'll go back to the backstory at some point. But, like, I remember the days where I couldn't even beg to get my homies on a Live Nation show. So now that I, I own a venue that now is, you know, powered by Live Nation, it's kind of, it's a beautiful kind of full circle thing. So are they a part owner too? Or are they no. just... No, absolutely not. So what's really cool about our partnership is they they paid us to be a part of what we're doing and to have naming rights to the venue, but no equity equity in my business. They, they really have no um, ability to do anything in our space without our permission. So it's just, we really get to kind of borrow their name. Um, and they also give us some capital to, to build it out. Oh, that's awesome. Which is really special. That's like the best of both worlds right there. Holy yeah. Every, I love me some non-dilutive capital. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hard to get. Hard you know? to get these days. Um, but yeah, but it's the incubator, which is everything I've kind of described, the space. And we spend a lot of time on educational programming, teaching entrepreneurship through the lens of creativity. And then on the other side of the business is a community-driven creative agency. So right now, mm. we've got over 1,100 active members, right? And these are creatives of all kinds, you know, from photographers to performers to podcasters to et cetera, you name it. And what's really special is now that I ha- we have, right, 1,100 members of our community, we have the ability to go out to brands of all sizes, whether it's Live Nation, whether it's Red Bull, Lyft. And when they're hiring us to do creative services, all of our members essentially have the ability to open the app and go to the jobs and opportunity board mm. and learning, oh, wait, there's four photography gigs this weekend where I, where I could be needed. Or, you know, they're looking for performers for this show that's coming up and they can just hit a button, throw their hat in the ring and then be able to get paid to do what they love to do. You know what you guys kind of are in a way with that? I never exactly. thought of this before. Hmm. I'm sure there has to be like some examples I've come across and I'm just not thinking, but it's really cool. You're like... You're the contra side of like a recruiting agency there. Mm. So you see recruiting agencies come out. They got to go find people and place them. Right. You go find the places and then say, oh, by the way, I got the people. Yeah. And it's and it's like a relationship-driven thing because it's not like, hey, I got people to work for you. It's like, right. oh, we're going to do this thing for you. Mm-hmm. And then happy customer they're, or happy partner in your case, they're yeah. coming in, getting whatever work they are, exchanging whatever. And then they have opportunities and you're like, oh. Oh, we have some people too. What do you think? Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's I think of it as an ecosystem. You mm-hmm. know, I think um in a city like Philly, it's like we're a talent town through and through. But what we're not is an industry town, you know, the way people think about it in New York or in LA. So for what, what do you mean by that in like twenty twenty one? Yeah, which and I'm glad you said it that way, right? Um so back when we built the business in, you know, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, where we're coming up you know, and just throwing shows for the homies and, you know, creating content. The narrative, unfortunately, with most of the most talented people who we would book for shows was, yeah, I'm doing my thing in Philly, but if I want to get to the next level, I got to go to New York. I got to go to LA. And the, the mindset and the reasoning behind that was in those places, it was perceived that there were the people that could help you advance, right? The people with the relationships, the people with access to the resources. So, Really, it's just those cities have, have kind of built their own ecosystems in a way where it's like, hey, if I tap in, I can, I can elevate. Um, but the, the funny part is like there are resources in Philly. 
You know, we're one of the biggest cities in the country still, you know, it's yeah. like top six or something. I think it's like six or seven, something you know? like that. Um, there's money in Philly, you know what I mean? A lot of people like to believe that there's not, but there is, you know what I mean? Um, and we have a thriving community. It's just, you know, a lot of scarcity mindset just because of the, 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 the way we all come up in the city. It's not a lot of resources that are available. So we think, right, the perception is it's scarce. Um, but for us, it was like, yo, there could be a different way to do this. And, you know, for me and my business partner, Dave, it was like, we could have easily went off to New York and LA as entrepreneurs, as just these sure. young scrappy hustler guys to, to make a name for ourselves there. But it's like, if we do that and everyone else keeps doing that, nothing changes. So at what point will someone stay and be like, yo, how do I actually start to build the infrastructure here? So you, that that's kind of where we went. You know what, though? The game also changed. Long after you started. A thousand percent. Because the pandemic, I mean, there's a million downstream effects of that, obviously. But if we're looking at some of the more basic ones that we've seen that are going to continue on into the future here, it's that, A, people have the ability to work where they work, where they want. So the importance of being on the ground in New York or LA, Mm -hmm. actually, sometimes even in shit as crazy as like movie studios, like in some cases, not a lot, but you know what I mean? Like things like that are now going to be available for people to live in Philly or live in North Carolina, wherever they are. And so on top of that, you also now have more of a blending of where people are going to congregate. So not necessarily just like how all these people work in New York City, but 7 million people live in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of people who don't live in Manhattan, but they live in the areas right around it. Absolutely. Because it's like, okay, now some crazy people live like an hour and a half away, which is nuts to me. But (laughs) a lot of people, they'll live within like 45 minutes in in some of the counties in Jersey and New York. If you can now look into a future where that's going to expand to say nothing of people don't even have to worry about it because they're not even going in, Mm -hmm. you can create bases not just like in the actual city of Philly, Mm -hmm. but in the region that is the Philadelphia region. And this is very interesting to me because I've always like, I'm from here. I love Philadelphia. Like Mm -hmm. it's my home city, right? I grew up in South Jersey, love this place. But like, I love New York. Mm -hmm. That's where I lived. That's where I want to get back to. Love that place. Mm -hmm. And it's just because like that's, my vibe and it's because i look at philly as more of a town whereas when you like when you compare it to new york new york's like more of a city but the beauty of this whole pandemic now is that the talent that has been in philly for a long time as you alluded to that's not new Mm -hmm. that's not new and now we're giving people an opportunity to build here and build in this area and attract like a greater region over time it'll take 20 30 years but these are the types of things that can do it yeah and I, i agree with that But I would also challenge and say that, like, yes, the pandemic kind of, like, expedited that. But I think the game changed years before that. That's fair. You know what I mean? I think the game that really made our business viable was the fact that in 2014, 2015, you know, I'm I'm a nerd figuring out, like, all right, for context, you know, I'm a nerd that loved entertainment, culture, media, studied that stuff in school, but also studied economics, right mm, so 20 combo right good combo so and it's funny because back then everyone's like yo how does that make sense right but it for does. me it made a ton of sense yeah. and what i do now is literally right at the intersection but in 2014 2015 i'm watching uber build their business and become the fastest growing transportation company without owning cars yeah i'm watching airbnb 
become one of the fastest growing hospitality companies and at that time owning no property. Mm-hmm. So the idea of these platform-based businesses who could build massively fast-growing startups and not need to own all of the assets that were helping them become what they were was really special to me. So I'm like, oh, well, when is this going to come to the entertainment space? Because if we think about the paradigm of the entertainment space, it's always unfortunately been a thing where the people who are creating culture, the, the creating the IP, were not the ones always taking home the value that was no. created, right? So nope. for me, it was like, oh, this is, the, this is it. And I saw two things happening. I saw that become possible as like a model. And then second, this is where direct-to-consumer started to blow up. 2014, 2015, this is before, you know, Chance the Rapper was waving the flag as an independent artist, where now it's normalized, right? It's normal to hear rap bars talking about independence, talking about owning your masters. But again, back then, that wasn't the norm. So I kind of saw where the puck was going back then. It was like, yo, we should bet the house on this because both of these things are going to keep going. And once people get a taste of what ownership is about and all that, we're not going to want to go back because this is the opportunity for us to undo unfortunately what made the norm of some of the songs that our parents grew up on and like build the best moments of their lives around some of those artists who created those records died broke yes and it's not just one or two of them you know what i mean so it was like yo i see where this is going and uh for me it was about how can i contribute using the knowledge i had to create a a different paradigm so can we circle back on the non-agency part then which Mm -hmm. i think is what you're getting at here because I want to make sure I understand the mm-hmm. full context. And this is also great because I just had in my friend Mason the other day, who's mm-hmm. one of the co-owners of Breed Studios in oh, Philly. Word. Okay. So we were talking all about like the music industry and okay. like the whole process, masters and publishing Tight. deals, all that stuff. This so jam. very much in the vibe of this right now. This cool. is good. But when you're talking about helping people own their stuff, you had mentioned you have like you have the Live Nation studio in there, you or the stage, stage, yep. stage. You have the podcast studios. You have yep. the recording studios. Yep. So you are specifically. It seems like the focus is not like as much what the agency side is, which more focuses on people who are interested in marketing. Mm-hmm. It seems like the focus on this other side is all entertainment. So it's all yeah. people who are talent of some sort. Yeah, it's um our our audience. Are content creators anyone who's creating intellectual property specifically like um, content that then can go and build an audience around that that's who our community is and I think to just drive it home and make it super plain the easiest way to think about our incubator it's a gym membership for creative people hmm. right so what makes us different than any of these other you know think of it like a label or something we don't want to we don't own anything our members create how do you guys make money again so you pay a membership to be a part of right. what we're doing, right? So you said it's like a member thing like or something is like that. Is that what makes them – I'm thinking like that's kind of covering operating costs though. So membership is definitely something that helps cover operating costs and does its own thing. And then having the agency is is the icing on the cake. You know what I mean? And, and it's the marriage of those two models, which really makes it beautiful. That's awesome because – and you answered a question I was going to have for you, which is – the biggest thing when you're creating – when you're solving a problem like this and taking control of the issue like you are is you have to question like, oh, am I just becoming the replacement for what was? Mm-hmm. You know, like am I just becoming the new label? Yeah. But the beauty of things like Airbnb and the major examples you mentioned and Uber – well, I don't know if Uber is the best example, but Airbnb sure. is a great example at this point. You know, they empowered a lot of people to make passive income. Right. You know, and it's like they kind of get – they basically get a rake. 
And they are, by the way, greatest rake you'll ever pay because they're setting everything up. Right. You don't do a damn thing. You just have a place. Right. You know, so it sounds like for you, it's like you have all the tools here. You're mm-hmm. going to have at least mostly access to them unless like, you know, there's a line to get in the studio. Sure. I'm sure there's schedules and stuff like that. But still, like you have access to it all the time. Yep. And you're going to be able to get things essentially at your disposal that you would have to pay a fuck ton of money for like somewhere else you right, know I, and i understand this obviously yep. so that's a pretty cool model thanks man i appreciate it i mean look at the core of it it's it's about resource sharing man you know what i mean it's about resource sharing it's about people who understand the abundance mindset like how many how many rappers do you think there are in philadelphia N- a number right and you don't have, it was kind of rhetorical no. but a ton right a lot. Yeah. you know how many of them probably spent their savings of four thousand dollars to get a a startup recording system most of them right (laughs) for real for real though if we all thought about pooling that money and creating a real resource set and just made sure that everyone had access to it when they needed it how much more efficient would all those dollars be able to circulate and actually be meaningful for the people that are using them because how many people that spend that four thousand dollars then don't figure out how to actually learn the business and then two years later they give up right efficiency right and and in my community and in my culture that efficiency kills us because we don't build wealth so resource sharing you basically you're figuring out a way to get people to not be discouraged from trying yeah at the end of the day sure and this is like a complicated one too i talked about this a little bit with mason but it's it's there's a whole spectrum to it and it's like he had a line where he said the reality is certain people aren't built for it, mm-hmm. right? And that's true in anything. But I do think, and I know what he meant too, so I'm not bastardizing his quote here because I, I sure. think he would agree with what I'm about to say. But I do think that there are plenty of people who, for whatever reason, could be family, could be purely money, mm-hmm. could be situation in life, whatever it is, the timing of things that happen to them don't give them the opportunity to be able to go do that thing, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Sure. And so while there are certainly people who just kind of stop and aren't yeah. built for it, plenty of them, and you can, you know, they'll see their way out, I guess. There are also a lot of people who maybe never get the chance. And I guess an argument that some people would come back at me with is like, hey, certain people don't take no for an answer. <clears throat> There's not a fuck ton of people in this world who are built like that right there's not like right. how many tom brady's are there how many right. michael jordans are there There right. aren't a ton but there's a lot of greatness kobe's yeah well sure kobe's yeah, another one right. absolutely you know and you look at the greats across any sport you look at the greats across even like entertainment and stuff like yeah. a denzel washington denzel washington told everyone to fuck off yeah. for like 15 years and said i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do yeah there aren't a ton of people wired like that let me add this into the box i agree with what you're saying um However, the internet has created a, a shift that, like, not everyone needs to be Beyonce. Yes. So automatically, if, for example, if one in a million people could do it before, now one in a hundred thousand can because the success looks different. And, um, you know, <clears throat> the idea of, like, you know, if I'm a high school kid and, like, especially if you come from a neighborhood where, like, I come from, my family comes from. Where are you from? So my family's from Germantown. That's on the west side of Philly, right? I guess you could say. I mean, no one ever says this with like Northwest. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, but when you think about it, it's just like when you come from from that kind of environment. Usually, the way out is entertainment or sports. Mm. Mostly sports. Yeah. Right. But like going to the league is like 
one in I don't know how many millions of a shot, right? Yes. And then what happens is if you do make it though, boom, overnight you get that moment and all of a sudden you're a multimillionaire and you're set up, right? We don't need that anymore. I'm not propo- I'm not saying that every person who joins Rec Philly is going to become Beyonce, who's going to become the next Kendrick Lamar. But what I am saying is if you really lean into what we're teaching, which is creative entrepreneurship, I do believe that there's a, a big majority of our members who have the ability to learn how to make $60,000 a year doing what they love to do instead of putting on the mask to walk into a job they hate just because it pays their bills. So I agree with what you said. Not everyone's cut out to be the entrepreneur that can build a startup to fucking I love how you put this. Launch, Keep going. You yeah. know what I mean? But I do believe that there's so many people who are incredibly talented who can create content and express themselves and just share their own stories that even if they're one in a million – by the numbers, I think that means there's 8,000 people just like them on the planet, yeah. right? Because there's like 8 billion people in the world. Yeah. So if you understand how to use the internet to find your audience, make high quality stuff, you can figure out how to get your 8,000 people or your 10,000, if you're lucky, to give you what, 10, 100 bucks this year? I heard a quote from somebody, and I can't remember who right now, but I'll look it up after and sure. get it to you. It was a few years ago. Some, I think it was like a LinkedIn video or something. <laughs> R.I.P. LinkedIn. Anyway, R.I.P. But, <laughs> but this this guy was this guy was talking about. I think the basis of the question he was answering was about worrying about haters or something like that. Mm. And he goes, "Okay, how many people are in the world?" And they're like seven and a half billion, whatever yeah. it is. And he goes, "Okay." <clears throat> we interrupt this conversation for two reasons. Number one, like the video. Number two. If you haven't used the link in my description, along with the code Trendifier at checkout to get $100 off either your 8 Sleep Pod Pro mattress or 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, check it out. I love it. Every week, that's the one thing I say the same way, so it kind of rolls off like a robot. Love saying it. Anyway, if you have not actually done that, I promise you this is a game changer. So 8 Sleep's proprietary technology is hooked into their app, which they hook into their mattress or their cover. And I'm going to focus on the cover because it does all the same things as the mattress. It's half the price. You don't have to get a full-blown mattress, and it goes right on top of your current mattress in queen or king sizes. So their app plugs right into their cover and then optimizes your sleep stages around you throughout the night. So it will measure things like your REM, your body temperature, how your sleep stages work, a whole bunch of other scientific stuff that I'm not qualified to talk about to make sure that when you wake up in the morning, you are fully energized in a way that you have never experienced on a consistent basis. So you may look at the clock and it will say perhaps that you slept six hours and you're going to feel like you slept eight with an 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover. So use that link in my description along with the code TRENDIFIER. That's T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R at checkout. And you will get $100 off either the 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover or if you want to go for the full mattress, it is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. You can get that as well and get $100 off that as well. I said as well twice there, but we're going to go with it. So back to the conversation. Check out 8 Sleep. You won't regret it. What is 1 million out of 7.5 billion? It's a very low percentage. It's like whatever it is, 0.000 something. And he goes, all right, do you think if you had a million people who actually liked you or loved you in this world, are you pretty convinced that every year if you provided value, you could probably get $5 from each of them? And everyone in the building went, yeah. And he goes, do you think you could probably live with the fact that maybe the other people in the world all hate you, but you have a million people that don't, and that's probably enough to subsist? And everyone in there was like, Oh, yeah. And it's so true because what you're talking about to bring it full circle Mm -hmm. back to what you were saying is 
you can use the internet to find your audience and then you can monetize that audience by providing them something that's personal to them with creativity. Boom. Boom. That's what we teach. That's awesome. Yeah. We literally, we wrote a whole curriculum, 10 chapters of how to do exactly that, how to really understand building a powerful brand. Right. I think in like 2021, that's like the most bastardized word. Everyone says, oh, it is. Right. But doesn't even understand that. Yeah. But how do you actually build a meaningful brand? How do you build an audience of people who believe what you believe? How do you use, you know, top quality digital strategy to engage them properly? And then how do you do the scary part for most creatives, which is actually build revenue streams and monetize? And we teach that, you know, and then to go a little further, how do you protect your intellectual property so that way yes. you're actually building equity for yourself? Um, yeah, and we teach that to folks because there's just so many people who literally the best MCs I've ever heard in my life, the best singers I've ever, you know, heard in my life, like, but they just don't understand the business. And when you teach someone, when you tell someone, yo, you got to you got to write a business plan and this and that, and they go on Google and they see a template that's 50 pages long, they get intimidated. It's like, nah, it's, it's bullshit. But here's the actual brass tacks of it all. And then you do, um, I don't know if you ever heard of Kevin Kelly. He's, I don't think so. He's got a concept called um, Thousand True Fans. I definitely haven't heard of that. Okay. Check that out. You should check it out. You'd love it. Okay. Um, makes so much sense for what you're doing here but his concept is basically what we were talking about earlier it's you only need a thousand people and if you can find a way for a hundred people uh for a thousand of those people to give you a hundred bucks a year through merchandise through you know meet and greet experiences events or you know the streams on youtube revenue or whatever you're making six figures and look at how people are using that with like the whole nft stuff coming out so yeah there's and now there's a lot of solid stuff finally rising to the top where actual artists people who are talented as hell are creating things and getting value for it which i love to see you've also seen though a lot of shitty art go and why does some of it not some of it is just going because it's a weird bubble but why does some of it go it goes because the creators Mm -hmm. behind them are selling all the other things around it, like those yeah. in-person experiences yeah. and the things that actually attach the fans to them so it, yeah. it continues to build their community. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I love that we're talking about NFTs. Uh, I think the thing that most people get wrong about NFTs is they think that the value is the NFT, but it's not. The The, the NFT is just the the vehicle. You know what I mean? Like, same thing with-, with It's the key. You know, yeah. and it's like, okay, but what is the meaning of that NFT, right? Like, again, are you attaching an in-person experience to it, et cetera, et cetera? I think every time a new technology comes out, people sometimes lean on the technology as if it's the saving grace, but it's really just the tool to help you actually monetize. For example, are you familiar with Patreon? Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I've seen so many people be like, oh, I'm going to get on Patreon. I'm going to kill it. And they get on Patreon thinking that it's a discoverability platform. No. It's not. Not in the slightest. But if you already have an engaged audience, it's a tool that allows you to then monetize them in a very simple way. NFTs, similar. Obviously, there's so many differences. But at the heart of it, you're not going to get on there, mint some, some, some NFTs, and then all of a sudden you're going to blow up overnight. Yeah. But if you already have a rabid audience and you're smart enough to have a strategy that NFTs lends itself beautiful to, beautifully to, it could change your life. And you know, I think the best example, and I don't always like talking about him because he's... I know where you're going. Yeah. Say it. Uh, I'll just say there's a hip-hop artist who used the platform beautifully where he decided that he was going to make an album. This is not where I thought you were going. Okay. okay. Keep going. There's a hip-hop artist who decided he was going to make an album, and he said, yo, I'm going to only drop... How many copies did he put out? 
It might have been a million. Yeah, it was a million. He said, I'm going to put this mixtape out, seven records. I'm only going to mint a million copies, right? And they're all, all going to be $1. And then literally promoted it. When it dropped, I think in like minutes, everyone went on, snatched them all up, bought all, all of the NFTs. What was amazing about that is he made a million dollars right away. Oh, yeah. Right? But the other part is our culture loves the resale market. So not only did his best fans, his most rabid, loyal fans, get to go and be a part of that moment, they got this asset now that when it goes from being worth a dollar to everyone wants it, and now it's trading for ten, for fifty, for a thousand. I think the craziest one went for like forty-seven thousand dollars. <laughs> Some fan got to participate in that moment, not just emotionally, but financially. That changes the landscape for what it looks like to support a local creator. We've made equity out of like everything. Yeah, and, and what's important about that is people who have created culture have always struggled to make equity out of their own culture. So now is finally a, a point in time where we understand how we can value that. And, and again, it's direct to consumer. So there's not some dude at the top of the building fucking of a label telling you what, how much equity you should have in your art. It's the market gets to decide. And I think that's really powerful. I think it's still... And this, we talked about this a little as well, Mason. There's some nice overlap here, but I think there's still an element that's half and half where I think that you're on the right pathway here and only at the start of it is that mm -hmm. there is a demonstrated ability if you're willing to play it out to be able to build that audience and then actually create way bigger per capita monetization than has ever been done in the past Agreed. or was possible in the past, right? Agreed. So the people who learn, what was that guy's name? The Kelly method you Kevin were saying? Kevin Kelly, yeah. Is that what thousand, it's called? Yeah, Kevin Kelly's a thousand true fans. Theory. Okay, so again, I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds awesome. But like that kind of thing, if you are actually teaching that like mm -hmm. you guys are and mm -hmm. showing people examples, not just one or two, but a mm -hmm. lot of examples of how it's possible, mm -hmm. As that gets adopted over time, that's where it'll start to become a built-in expectation. Because mm -hmm. it's a weird line with creatives and business. There are some creatives who are great at business, yep. sure, but like a lot of them aren't. Right. And I think, you know, I've been on both sides of those things. I love the creative side more. Yeah, I appreciate some good business though, right? As do I. Thank God As I know I. how to do that. Yep. You know, thank God you know how to mm -hmm. do that. That's how you built something like this. And want to do that. And well, that's the key. You have to like have some sort of interest in it. Yep. Whereas like you think about you were using the examples of these artists in the past who, mm -hmm. you know, died broke. Yeah. These guys, it's not that they didn't care in, in most cases. It's that they're so busy, like in their minds, building something from scratch that's never been done that anything that distracts from like that thought process, that zone, it's not their problem. They don't yeah. want to deal with it. Yeah. And so then what happens? Yeah, yeah, just sign it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Do it. And that's how problems happen. Yes, and I think there's a, a reality of people who that was the exact way to describe it. But also, you can't forget that the industry has always. How do I want to say it? There's an undeniable predatory aspect of the industry that oh, just. So I love you, but I'm putting this in. There. That's fine. Not your thing. <laughs> I just wanted you to take a sip. You know, to see yeah. what it was about. Try not um, to die over here. <laughs> you Keep got going. it. I think there. There also. It, it's only fair to acknowledge that, like the industry has been predatory in, in so many ways, right? Like yes. we were just talking about an artist like Baby Keem, right? Um, what, 19 years old? Yeah, before the podcast, just for people listening. Oh, yeah. Before you, the, did, you didn't miss that. Okay, but, yeah, before the podcast. Yeah, he's like uh, 19 or 20. Right. Um, most of these artists, especially today, that are emerging, 
and even before decades, this is you know decades old. Most of these cats are young kids, and they're coming. Oh yeah, and they're coming from from environments that they don't have business people around them, right? So if if I'm coming up in a really rough neighborhood, whether it's in South Central LA or in the Bronx, New York, or I'm in Philly, I don't have that sort of mentorship around me. I'm watching my mom work two jobs and there's no dad there. You know what I'm saying? And then somebody gives me an opportunity to make art and they're saying they're going to give me $100,000. The idea of a kid then saying no to that is very low. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And these, and these, these labels know that, right? So then I just want to put that out there too because it's not just like the kid who's an artist and he's like, oh, my God, don't bother me. I just want to create art. It's also like there's real life happening outside of that. So I just wanted to put that in there too. And like, that's been preyed on for for decades, for centuries. No, that's so important. And there's a balance with it because I tend to just, I mean, we all do it, but I'll generalize Mm -hmm. all the time and just talk about like the suits and how they're all scummy. A lot lot of them are. There are some who aren't. Yeah, not all of them. It's not all of them. And there there are some who do a great job. I I do know one suit who I've known for a decade, <laughs> who's never worn a suit in his life, I might add. If, if Ooh, he's worn wow. a suit, I don't think I've ever seen one. Wow. And he's like, to me, I always, th- and maybe I thought of him wrong, but I always thought of him as the craziest outlier mm. because he is, he's had a career of 40 years, longer than that maybe. Wow. And he is, over and over again, he has demonstrated that he lives by the creed of, I am here for the art. And nothing else. Hold on, and hold I will on, say on, the on. number of guys who can say that, yeah. very, very rare. Is he is he in a big building? He was he's one of the three best A and R executives in the history of music, I would say. That's incredible. Uh I don't know him, so and that's a good thing in this situation. But I think um from a heart space, that's probably true. But to me, if you're in a big big building especially one that's a publicly traded company, it's hard to really say that. Oh, yeah. That's because why you, you quit. There you go. Okay, cool. That's why you left. Yeah, because that's, that's always going to be the thing, right? It's like, at some point, shareholder value, <laughs> you know, has to come in instead of, ah, oh, but I really like this kid. <laughs> you, you know what happens? The Lior Coens of the world walk into the building. And there you go. And they don't really care. That's what happens. And, and that's why... I'm so about the whole independent movement with, with all this stuff. And, and I appreciate, like you mentioned, Chance. We should talk about that. Can you yeah. give a little background on his setup for people that don't know that story? Because if I'm not mistaken, he's been that way since day one. I don't think he ever did anything yeah, let me, on the label side. Yeah, and let me, right before I, I break that down, like, I do want to be very clear, like, what my position is, like, around labels and stuff. Um, you know, I've got friends that work at labels and, like, I used to be on a on, in a space of like fuck the labels and this and that, but I don't feel that way. Like I do truly believe that like there is, and for a long time there will be a purpose and a role for labels to play in the ecosystem, right? And um, that's healthy. For me, it's just about let's make sure that we're educating these these young people so that way when they get to the point, if they ever get to a point that they want to work with a label, they have the knowledge base to actually understand what's happening. And how they can use the label for what it's good for, which is a bank and connection to to radio if you still think that your art should be on radio. Hey, if you own your masters and you have a good cut of your publishing and you have your IP, mm-hmm. a label is not a bad thing. Not at all. It's as rock- long as you're not giving that up. Ship. Oh, my God. It is. Ship. I mean, 
I'm sure you know the numbers of the money they put behind these mm-hmm. albums when they drop. Absolutely. Oh my god. Absolutely. It's it's more money than most people have ever seen. Yes. By, by a long shot. By a lot. So there is a space for it. So I just didn't want to come across as like, oh, he says fuck sure. the labels all the way. But it's just about, let's make sure that young people actually have an informed negotiation. <laughs> right. And right. actually has that, have that leverage. Um, but anyway, so the Chance the Rapper thing, you know, I, I, I admire the way he built, you know, him and Pat. Um, Pat the manager, who I would say is just as important to that sauce as, as Chance is in so many ways. And he was never in a label whatsoever, right? Um, he never was signed to a label. Um, he did do that Apple Music thing. Um, there, was, there was a partnership at play with Apple Music, which still not signed to a That's label. That's a partnership. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, he went he, he from the mud to a certain extent, all independent. Um, you know, was able to, he put out 10 day tape, which just did well online. Dat Piff and all the blog era still was, was really helpful in that. Followed that up with acid rap, um, which was like critically acclaimed mixtape and really started to build an audience. And that allowed him to start touring. And then after that, he built a lot of leverage for himself and was like, yo, I don't, I don't need the label. Right. I'm just going to work this internet machine. And, um, you know, after that he just went crazy and, um, What's really special about Chance is like he also understood that like yeah the music is dope, but what people don't know is he made six million dollars off the three hat. Honestly, my response to that is that's it. Like, it, and that's the point. Yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. It was super brilliant. No one like I remember when I first saw that I had no idea like that was his. I wasn't mm-hmm. a fan of his at the time. Weird. I'm like, damn, everyone's wearing a damn Alan Iverson do something on this, <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was him, and and he yeah. was like this model for the merch side of of your fan base and obviously people had done that before him Mm -hmm. but he did it and kanye obviously is an extreme example literally built a brand right like these guys they figured out that they're they're one in the same like now you have this platform and internet 2.0 when it was coming up where okay you're gonna lose money on album sales and things like that because music is far more distributable and able to get in people's hands but the thing you gain is people follow you online. Mm-hmm. So when you want to get a message out, boop, yep. you hit the button. Yep. And it's just the understanding, and sometimes it's hard for musicians to swallow this pill. Your music is not the product. Your music is the marketing of a lifestyle that then if you're smart, you'll create products to allow people to identify with. You know Wait, can I mean? you say that one more time? Yeah, I think um, when you're really like emotional about the business you think the music is the product, right? An artist is going to spend years and years creating an album because they think that that's the product they're going to sell. But for real, for real, in today's day and age, the music is the marketing of a lifestyle that allows you to then sell products for people to identify with. For example, and I'll, and I'll give you an old example. I think the people who like really started to, to, to make this normalize in our culture the best jay-z so yeah oh, yeah and jay-z realized this back when they were still selling music as a product where they were still putting a million dollars behind the big pimp and music video budget but he realized yeah i can sell this music but also the lifestyle that i'm that i'm portraying is really what's penetrating these neighborhoods is really what's penetrating you know culture so then he created rock aware you know it's like everyone talks about yeezy right now but it's like yo before Yeezy, there was Rockaware. And who did Kanye learn from? Of course, from yeah, the best, right? S. Doc Carter's, he dropped sneakers, right? Because he realized kids wanted to wear what was on his feet, you know? Who made this? Boom, yeah. you know? And back then, Jay-Z had 
uh, Cristal, you know what I mean? Like, so they started to realize that they had these lifestyles that people wanted to identify with. So if I could sell the product, boom, and now I could just create the art to market the lifestyle. All right. Well, here's a question then, mm -hmm. because you're you're teaching this kind of thing to sometimes like kids coming in there, you know, whatever they are, 14, yeah. 15. No, 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 18. Okay, so there is a minimum of 18. But yeah, either way, yeah. you're teaching sometimes 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds who are yeah. looking at the world wide eyed. Yeah. Not shocked by it totally yet. Yeah. And I think a danger that I would go into that thinking about would be, you know, do you start to then get them focused on the prize rather than the means that are going to give you the credibility, the marketing for the prize? Um, define the prize real quick. The prize is that you have financial freedom, whatever your goals are, and, yeah. and you have this fan base that loves you and you get to sell merch and all this shit. And I'm saying that, that the, the means to get there, the marketing, to mm -hmm. use your terms, and I'm starting to come around on that as you explain that. It's mm -hmm. very interesting how you put that. But the marketing of it is whatever the creative is. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's, it's a rapper and it's their music. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people who can, who can come up and, and start to think like, well, fuck it. I'll just focus on this stuff and my music's good anyway. I'll just keep making shit and people will, will, will get with it. Sometimes, once sure. in a while, that might happen. It yeah. might. But like a lot of times, you know, if your music sucks, <laughs> they're not going to get with it. Sure. At the end of the day, the, the, the music and the art should be good. Mm -hmm. You should strive for it to be great. Um, for me, though, I love the word you used. The prize is freedom. Yes. And f and for me, the perspective is understand the business of this stuff enough that you can put yourself in a place that you do have financial freedom so you can actually create the art you want to create. Because mm -hmm. it's just like, yo, you could be the most phenomenal singer writing the most phenomenal songs, but if you can't get in the studio because you're wondering where your next meal is coming from, you're going to start taking some sacrifices. Or you might fucking quit so you can go get that job. Because yes. you're going to have society's pressure to be like, yo, bro, you're fucking 28. What are you doing? You want to build a family someday, right? Exactly. So it's like, yeah, I want people just to understand like, yo, build the business infrastructure so you have the, the freedom to really dig in and be the best artist you can be. Now, how many of your people come in there and they are working other jobs too? A lot of a them. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And like for me, honestly, like my best moments – are the moments where there's a, a member who's been a member for let's say a year and a half, two years, and they come in and they're just like, yo, I did it. <laughs> I quit. That's exactly yeah. it. And it's, yo, I, I finally was able to build the confidence plus the, the consistent revenue and all these other things to say, yo, I don't need that bullshit job anymore. And that's what success looks like for us, right? I think sometimes because like the model's so new, people are like, yo, well, how many members got signed? How many members got Grammys, which some members do have Grammy nominations and things like right. that, which is dope. But it's like, that's not the goal. The goal is how many people are doing what they love for a living? Not a lot. You know what I mean? But, but that's, we've had dozens of members be able to do that, you know what I mean, over the last couple of years. So it's like, that's what impact looks like for us. And that's getting to a place where it's a beautiful thing. Because again, sometimes people just need like that strategy. Yes. Because they already have the talent. A lot of them. And I'm, I never say, you know, when people come to Rec, like, coming to Rec, it wasn't designed to make you a better singer. I'm going to assume that you're going to put in the work to become a better singer and, and, you know, find the training and all that stuff. 
But what I hope that people get when they come to REC is you're going to come in as an artist, but you're going to leave as a creative entrepreneur. And if that happens, our job is done. What I know will also happen is you're going to build relationships with yes. other people who are serious about what they do that have chosen to invest in themselves, right? Which weeds out a lot of fuckboys because there's, yeah. there's a lot of fuckboys yeah. in entertainment. Uh, people who say they want something but don't ever work for it. That's not our community. These are the people who have been like, yo, I'm, I believe in this thing. I'm going to invest in myself. Um, and then on top of that, I do believe you're going to become a better artist because you're going to be able to be rubbing elbows with other people who are actually passionate about what they make. I think, you know, creativity is driven by collisions, like yes. being able to interface with folks and collaborate. And that's that's kind of what it's about. The community aspect is is such an interesting thing today because we have these two narratives going on where it's like the Internet is and you know post covid with everything remote it's separating all of us mm -hmm. but at the same time it creates an ability to come together more than ever mm -hmm. now what's interesting about your setup is that you're combining both you know i'm sure you have your different internet forums and, and communities as anyone does but you're also yeah. combining that with the fact that you're creating a physical space as yeah. well yeah. So people have, and it's creatives. You just said 100%. it the best. That what was that? Creative creativity Creative is driven by collisions. Yes. Yeah. So you put people, maybe who are different types of creators, also in rooms together, and they're exchanging ideas. It's like this great thing. Yep. But I do kind of worry about how many people across industries, like period, in anything, are going to be putting an emphasis on that moving forward because it's easier. It's easier to just have people out on an island, you know, and they can they can talk on Zoom and work remote and we don't have to yeah. build, you know, even within office spaces and workplaces, communities. Yeah. I mean, look, obviously there's benefits because a lot of people who are working nine to fives never realized that they really only needed to work four hours and they probably wasted another four there. Yeah. So sure, there's a there's a give and a take. But when you separate people out, the ability to create a, a community beyond, you know, some just behind a keyboard community online goes away. Yeah. It goes both ways. Do I think what you said about <clears throat> there's gonna be a lot of businesses that realize that like having a bunch of people in a cubicle in your office is not actually gonna get the most productivity? Fuck yeah. So Cubicles suck. Let's be honest. Right? They're, they're horrible. Because it's like people are together, but like they're not. They're not. You know what I mean? Um, so there's that thing. So like, yeah, work from home. Here for it. But I think there's certain industries and certain sports and certain, um, yeah, certain just lifestyles that you need the in-person proximity. Um, because as much as like the internet is really good for connecting people, I do believe that like to build deep culture – you need that proximity. Let me put it like this: yeah. um, You a basketball fan? Huge. Cool. So you're gonna you're gonna understand this. Um, the Celtics, the Bulls, the Warriors, the Spurs. What do all those uh, teams have in common? Great history of winning, at least and, recent. Yeah, and and the Lakers, likely. and yeah. the Lakers, not even recent. For the most part, and I think well, this, the Warriors is why I say okay, that. Okay, yeah. fair. Yes, the stat is those five teams I just mentioned have won. I think somewhere around eighty percent of all the championships that have been. Played. Yes, that's correct. I've seen that stat. Right, and it's not a it's not accident. You know, you can say, oh, they got the most money, so of course they're going to win. Maybe that's a part of it, right? Their caps may be bigger, but I believe that in those locker rooms they've created winning culture. Yes. Oh my God! Yes. Winning cultures takes a decent player and makes them a winner. 
and then those winning players help breed more winning players and that winning culture just like goes on so i think for me that's why i think our space has been so important because like success no matter what industry you're in before it's about skills it's a mindset so i i think our space helps really really deeply build mindset and then mindset plus access to resources here plus like-minded people right plus oh i can prove what i can do and actually make money Give us a couple years, man. We're going to create some of the best talent that the city's ever seen. That was a huge oversight on my part, not mentioning the word culture. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because the two need to go hand in hand. You it can't just to. build a community where a bunch of people go. It has to be a place where that thing's happening. you 100%. know. And you don't want to turn it into like a cult or whatever. You don't want to turn it into something <laughs> where people are blindly doing whatever. But right. your point, that example with, with the NBA franchises is so spot on and – there, there are some cynics who would say that some of them, you know, they're bigger markets and they have more money and more ability. And that's some of it. Sure. But the other thing is they have managed to, when things start to be not so great within their organizations, they fix it. Boom. They clean house. Yep. They know when, you know, Ben Simmons goes to one of those teams and he more <sighs> likely turns into Magic Johnson rather than Evan Turner. That's how this shit mm. works. You know what I mean? Well you, said. <laughs> our, I mean, our ownership team lives in fucking New York. Takes a helicopter here, lands on their kids' <sighs> soccer field sometimes. Yeah, it's still tells you all you need to know. It's still you sore. Know? It's still sore. Out yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I already went in on Ben Simmons. I don't need to go back. Did you? There. But yeah, yeah. We we don't need to go there again. But but you get it though. There's, yes. There's a winning culture. It's relatable to everything. It's exactly. not. You know, the sports teams are just what we pay attention to. But yeah. I mean, shit, man. Look, yeah. look at look at look at um what's his name the 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 cook bag who who molested and raped all the women the fucking Epstein or something no Har well him too but Weinstein Weinstein yeah. that's it like look at the culture now yeah. they created unbelievable hits there because they had a fuck ton of money and sure. he was a torturous dog sure. but look at the culture that he created over time and that's you know crazy. what the truth will eventually come out yeah. and you're done yeah. when it does and you should be it's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it, it even goes into like the academic world. Um, there's this really legendary picture that I saw on the Internet one time. The name of the, the convention is escaping me. But there's this amazing picture. It's a photo. It's in black and white. Um, and uh, who, who was in it? I'll try to pull it up. It was like uh, Einstein um, and like a bunch of other great people. But it's like just like Einstein convention. I think it's like 1942 or some shit like that. Okay. Photos. Uh this one, the Solvay Conference. Oh, beautiful. That right there? Yep. Boom. What's amazing about this photo is there's some crazy stat. When you look at all those people, I think there's maybe like 20 people in this photo. Is that Freud up there? Yeah. No shit. And what's nuts is the stat says that something like 80% of people in this photo went on to win a Nobel Prize. Most of them won that after this photo was taken. Why? Culture. They brought all the people who were some of the greatest minds and they brought them together and the way they were operating, the way they were working, the way they were thinking about what they were working on breeded this level of success that then allowed them to go on and create critical success. It's the same thing with like the PayPal mafia. Boom. You ever heard about that? A thousand like, percent. Come like on, man. E Elon, Teal, yeah. Levchin, all these guys. And now they're talking about it with 
the next one could be the Airbnb mafia cool. because like a bunch of those guys, there Brian Chesky and all those dudes. Exactly. Yeah. But now all the guys who worked with him or even uh-huh. like below him are starting to go out. You've seen guys, you've seen guys from Facebook go out and, and start new companies or fix other places. Yes. And you like the twins. I heard. I, I do respect the twins. Yeah. I like their, they were the kind of guys that I'll fully admit. I was like, Oh fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, when yeah. I saw the movie. <laughs> and then I read this book, Bitcoin billionaires. You ever read that? I haven't. You'll love it. It's, it's worth reading. Oh my God. Okay. You know, you know the movie, the social network. Absolutely. 21. Yep. All these, that guy, Ben Mesrick, who's like okay. a goat, like unbelievable writer. He wrote the books that okay. became those movies. Okay. So when he wrote the social network, he was like a little, you know, he was thinking, all right, these Winklevite twins, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then he kind of liked them. And okay. like, he's like, I think the narrative's a little off. And so then when they left, when they left the lawsuit behind, got the settlement, they asked for their settlement in stock. Which is so, brilliant. Oh my God, dude. And that's, and that's honestly, that's a winning mindset. Oh yeah. Right. Most people would have been like, fuck these dudes, just exactly. give me the cash. No. If you know the idea is valid. You should want to be invested in it still, even if it's not you that's at the helm. They separated emotion and and logic. Yeah. And so they went for the logic. And yeah. then what did they do? They found their way into Bitcoin mm. when you and I had no idea what Bitcoin mm. was. And they invested. And they didn't just invest in Bitcoin. They started investing in the infrastructure behind crypto and in, go, yeah. in blockchain. And so I appreciate the fact that these guys became a meme around the world mm-hmm. and never once complained about it. They just built. So that, that does tell me a lot. So I, I am a fan of that. I just don't, <laughs> That's interesting. I, I still don't know enough about them to be like an Elon fanboy or something. You yeah. know what I mean? But I do like them. I love that. It's interesting when you said that about, um, kind of becoming a meme around the world. Yeah. Most people don't have the heart to just like withstand that. Um, Kobe has a beautiful quote around that. He says, uh, Somebody asked him a question. I was like, yo, how do you deal with like the pressure of being in the stadium and away and fans hate you? He's like, oh, it's easy. Booze don't stop dunks. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so it's like at the end of the day, like, yeah, people could talk and people from outside the stand or in the stands are always going to talk, but you have to stay focused on, on what your vision is. The people that can drown it out, another rare quality. It's hard to do. A thousand percent. It's hard, man. But we're, we're humans. We want people to like us. We do. But you know what you also have to remember? A lot of the people who don't like you don't care that much either. That's They've got a lot of other shit to worry about. Yeah. Like, they'll sometimes, like, I'll, I'll be ridiculous in my comment responses. Like, I'm funny. I, like, uh, someone will rip me to shreds and I'll, I'll just come back and be great. like, yeah, man, what are your thoughts? <laughs> or like, you, you troll the trolls. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And 90% of the time, they're definitely, like, confused. Like, what a nerd. Like, okay, and they, yeah. they move on. But then 10% of them come back and not always but sometimes they'll like dm me and be like yo bro i, I was just sideswiping a video like mm. do your thing like this is great or whatever i'm like i don't respect that though y- i don't not? respect that you like said, telling the truth afterwards at least you, yeah hold on you said they would comment yes. the fuck shit and then they'd message you and be like yeah man i was just it's like no, well no, they no. well they would come back in the comments oh, okay first, cool in, fa- right, in fairness right, to them okay. and then after that. yes afterwards like they'll usually come back publicly okay, and then yeah. afterwards be like yeah i'm not yeah. gonna lie like i'm a, I'm a troll yeah and, as long as like, as long as it's public on both sides but what i hate are yeah. the people who like throw shade in public but then on the side they'll be like hey bro you know i was just fucking oh that's out. bullshit i hate that shit that's bullshit yeah you know the the apology has to be just as loud as the disrespect yeah and and like that's the thing like 
One of my friends, Mitch, was in here. One of the first podcasts we did, he had a great line. He was like, if there's people who are ready to hate it, there are people who are ready to love it, too. Facts. And it's so true. Facts. But, like, you know, it's hard for people who put their work out there, like an athlete who's mm-hmm. playing on the floor, who's worked their whole life, and they got some dude 300 pounds eating popcorn with two beers up in the stand saying, fuck you. Right, like, like, ben, That's Sim- not fun. like ben Simmons has right now. Ben Simmons has that, too, but Ben Simmons also is one of the – one of the three to five most talented people I've ever seen pick up a basketball, period. Period. And he won't learn a jump shot because he's arrogant. Hold on. That's what I think. Wait, you believe that? One of the three to Have five you, most talented let me, let people me, ever pick up a basketball? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone at six foot ten and a half with his length, his speed, his ability to be that low to the floor, his ability to pass? I'm not saying Magic Johnson, but it's like Magic Johnson, he's a step right below that, which there aren't many people like that. His ability to see the floor, his basketball IQ, his defensive IQ, which is absurd, his body, which is strong. He used to be great at finishing before he started thinking too much at shooting. Yeah. Think about all that. Yeah, the mental. Imagine if he could shoot a jumper. Yeah, I mean, he'd be, he'd be lethal. Who's going to stop him? And that's really why why people get so upset. Yes. It's not because... They want him to just be a completely better player. It's because they know the player he is that he's not living up to his potential. When guys aren't working, yeah, that's different. Yeah, when you are, when you're just struggling, like you see some of these shooters, they go through slumps. Shooters keep shooting. Like if you're gonna start booing James Harden because he goes one for nineteen a couple games in a row, you're right. a moron. Right. And like Facts. he, and like if his first reaction is like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I totally get that. Yeah. The greats find a way to like have that reaction and be like, "Ah, eh, whatever," yeah. or just ignore the reaction, like Kobe. Right. You know. Interesting. Okay. That's definitely a hot take. Top three to five players ever touched the basketball, but I, I, I like your defense. Listen, I, I just, I've never seen that before. Like, sure. I look at Giannis, and yeah. Giannis gets shit for not having basketball skills. I don't think that's fair. I think he does. Hmm. But you look at Ben's basketball skills at almost the same size. I think Giannis is a little stronger than Ben. Okay. Not by a lot, though. Sure. Like, Ben's pretty strong. You look at Giannis's basketball skills, and then you look at Ben's. It's not comparable. Yeah, and then there's just mindset, though, man. Yes. Uh, I think a lot of us wish Ben was just a killer. Yes. And he's just not. He's not. So, And and like, I, and I'm not going to hate on that kind of thing. Sure. It's just my line is, like, I'm always taking the side of the athletes on things. When people cross the line of not giving a shit, when, mm-hmm. they, when they've also been given so much. I mean, the, the fan base in Philly has been so good to that guy. They have, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll speak for myself, especially like I've defended him like a lot of other people for years. Sure. And I'm like, I'll keep waiting on it. He'll develop it. Yeah. And he's got all this potential. He got paid all this money. What did it for me is that even after he failed miserably in the playoffs this year, I remember watching the last like three minutes of that game when he was on the bench after he passed up that shot. And I actually, instead of wanting to, you know, stick him in the grave, I saw some reaction in him. And I, for a second, like for that moment, I was like, I felt a little bad. Hmm. And I'm like, maybe this is what he needed. Maybe he needed to go to the lowest level. And then he did the press conference after the game and he was human. I forget what he said or how that went. I'm going to get some of the lines wrong, but he, he took responsibility and, and he wasn't, you know, he's like a dead face guy. He wasn't dead completely dead faced he was more not to say he needs to be like a histrionic emotional right. guy but, but you saw that he cared yes and so i'm like you know what i'm gonna give him a shot 
Then when you go out and you start posting Instagram videos for the fourth summer in a row of you Shoot shooting jumpers, baby. the same exact form <laughs> and then won't answer the phone calls of your own team and teammates who have done nothing wrong and then you demand to trade out a Philly and say that you're not going to show up, fuck you, dude. Sure. At that point, I'm out. I get it. Yeah, and you know, just for the sake that like, you know, I don't know what happens in the locker room again. I'm in, I'm in the stands. I'll, I'll let it rock just because I don't know enough about that. But That is true. Yeah. You, you do you do never know on some things. You know? And, like, I'll still have hot takes on stuff. Basically anything we could have a hot take on in here, mm-hmm. we don't officially know. Right. Right? But there's still things that we can kind of – where it's like, hey, 98 99% of the time, we're going to be on the right path here. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> if you start drawing that line, you're never going to criticize anything. Yeah. It's like no one's anywhere. That's fair. That's fair, man. Yeah, I, I liked one of the things you said a moment ago. You said – um if people hate it that much, there's yeah. also people that are willing to love it. I think that's really important for like creators to hear because I think we're in this time where like some people are so afraid of the negative criticism that they're not willing to put their whole truth out. And then it's like, if you don't put your whole truth out, you can't allow people to love you, you know? Agreed. So I think, I think it's just important to kind of double down on that. I think that's dope. And that's something that's, again, it's hard to build that muscle to like, care about something enough, but then also not care about the reaction enough to actually like produce consistently. That's something I've struggled with. So I know like how creators feel in that moment, but ultimately like the superpower is being able to stand in your truth and not give a fuck. I think a big part of it though, there's like a little hack to it. I love your thoughts Mm -hmm. on this to see if you have examples or like people you've seen that you might be able to say this about, but the hack to me is you have to just keep creating yeah. You just can't stop. Like, like I'm talking like on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, you put out a piece of content. It's gone. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Don't look back. Like, go answer the comments to make sure you have your algorithm okay. Yeah. But that'll stop eventually, right? Other than that, what's the next thing you're making? Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, you know Jack Conti? No. Jack Conti, he's the founder of, pre- of Patreon. Don't know him. No. Okay. Yeah. He's dope. He he was a musician and, you know, it's a content creator. That's why I built Patreon. Uh, but he has this whole idea of like working to publish, which is essentially mm-hmm. like the mindset of like create with the intention that regardless this is going out. And I think, yes. and I think that's like really, really helpful, especially for creatives. Cause like, for example, if you're a musician, it's easy to get so romantic about the, the music that like you're tweaking the one snare for fucking two weeks not realizing that 99% of the people who ever listen to the record are not going to know that you changed that snare and then you just don't put out your album. That's the problem. Right? That's the problem. So uh, his whole idea of like working to publish is like, nah, fuck that. Just put it out. And and really what's underneath that concept is a concept that I love, love, love is um, he says, at the end of the day, you don't get to choose what you're famous for. It's not up to you. All you can do is just keep putting out your art and allow the fans to tell you what the hit is oh that's key you know who was who was the one guy i think it was la reed if hmm. i'm wrong about this just tell me i'm wrong in the comments but (laughs) yeah i think it was la reed because he was a legendary a and r guy who i heard him say a couple years ago he was talking about like talent and because they're like well how do you have such an ear for it he's like i mean to an extent i guess i do and i guess other greats have but he's like the fans know the fans do know. They know. Yeah. Like when they hear it, that's why certain songs happen. 
Because they know. Yeah, and I think there, I do personally, I believe there is like an art and a science to like, especially like popular music or popular art. Um, I think there is a formula, right, to what makes like a great record. And there's, you know, some 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 record makers actually like have a formula that I've like seen like spelled out of like, oh, it's got to do this and it's got to do that at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you feel about that? The formulaic method? Yeah. I love Drake. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> I didn't have to ask it. That's great. He I love, does. I I love him too. Yeah, he pulls Drake. it off. I love Drake. Um, but yeah, you know, I think um, there's a kind of art that is driven by understanding culture where it's at and what people want to hear, and then creating that, right? And I think that takes a skill too, right? Like, sure. As an entrepreneur, that's what you better be doing, right? You better be solving a problem, you know. Um, so I think that's dope. But I also appreciate the kind of art that's willing to be super vulnerable and push the culture as opposed to just feed it what it thinks it wants. And that's who a Kanye is. That's who a Steve Jobs is. You know, like Steve wasn't like, oh, everyone, we did the surveys and everyone says that they fucking want the QWERTY keyboard. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. And I think, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Got, I got, yeah, 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 yeah. I got the stylus that I need. Um, and that's what I think like, and right now, just because it's so this week, I hate when people ask if you like Donda or Certified Loverboard. Oh, thank you. I hate it. Because it's just like, yo, this is apples to oranges. Like, we're not even talking about the same thing. Like, that's like being like, yo, like, I don't know. Do you like Ken Griffey or do you like fucking, (laughs) (laughs) or do you like Kobe? Jordan, Jordan, LeBron. Same thing, man. People. Fair. People create, they want to create tribes around stuff. And yeah. it has to be zero or a hundred. Right. He yeah. sucks or, or he's great. Right, and it's like, right. What are we, I, I said this the other night to somebody. Yeah. You'll love this. I've never done this before, but I got to read this to you. I was like, seeing a lot, seeing a lot of hate drop from Team Kanye and Team Drake will say the same thing I say, read Jordan and LeBron. Less fighting, more appreciating. Ye and Drizzy just dropped phenomenal albums. Clearly Facts. different, but clearly great. Stop hating and enjoy I wish everyone would do that, man. Yeah. Like, it's just like you, especially with art, you were making a point earlier and then we got to something else. So I I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop you from that. But I loved what you were saying when you were talking about how you can, the way you were explaining it when you were going through like building the audience and like being able to get value from a certain audience. Yeah. You were highlighting also without trying to do it, the difference between sports and creative. Mm. Creative is competing on time. Sports Ooh. is competing on a result. It's a score, Ooh. right? I like that, yeah. You know, like you're gonna play a game. It's gonna be roughly two and a half hours, yeah. or whatever and at it the is. And there is a winner and there's a loser. That's it. Yeah. With creativity, it's like how many minutes of today is someone gonna give me of their attention for whatever this thing is. It's a bigger spectrum. Yeah. Well, ooh, that's interesting. The I get a little icky when we create the success of art to be about attention and time just because like there's a lot of people that are good at getting attention that are terrible at creating art yes that's fair so i just want to like put that out there but i love that concept as you as you were explaining it though i love the essence of that so when can you expand upon that though i i think i know exactly what you mean when you're talking about Mm -hmm. like people if i'm putting words in your mouth correct me but like people who are doing clickbaity shit yeah okay yeah um there's an artist who has rainbow hair that I hate. Um, I don't say, I'm not gonna say hate. I don't, I don't hate, but I, I think it's so destructive to the culture. Um, I'm not gonna go as far as to say it's not art, but it's like his talent is not making music. 
His talent is something else that also happens to be really good at getting attention. Um, so I think like that's kind of where it's like I wouldn't call him like a really great artist, even though he's a really good attention getter. You know? I've never knowingly listened to one of his songs. That's I'm great. sure I've heard one. I've never knowingly listened to I did to once, one. and that was the first big one, um, Gummo. But then after that, I was like, okay, I get what this is. Never again. Never again. Um, it's not even just attention there, though. It's It's just pure controversy. Like at the highest possible yeah. degree in every way, including like the physical action someone like that takes on their body. It's disgusting. It's yeah, and it's when when people talk about these terms like culture vulturing and mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, it's what it looks like right there. That's what it looks like. You know, and it's sad because like here here's why to me it's like really really sad. Um, his core audience, the people who consume his music don't understand the lifestyle that he's portraying and they really don't understand the the genuine consequences of what happens when you tiptoe around that lifestyle and then you you fucking snitch on people people go away for a really long time families are involved so it's like the fan can't really understand what is actually happening but they could watch the YouTube videos and laugh. They can go to the concerts and like, then they go back home and like, they're completely devoid of that culture that they just got like pure enjoyment from with none of the downside. I'm not going to say that it's bad to like, I, I don't diss rappers who actually come from that. And then they like make art around it. Cause it's like, you took the bad and then turned it into a good, right? You were able to somehow like, yes, build something from it. But if you don't accept the bad and then you only want the upside, I, I can't support that. And that's who he is from what I've seen. Again, I don't know. but Yeah, and, and I have the utmost respect, obviously, for the guys who then are able to use their platform through rap or whatever it is to completely get away from it. And Absolutely. just totally, and, and guess what? That's how you get albums like Reasonable Doubt or The Illmatic yeah. where these guys, Jay-Z, Nas, mm-hmm. and then all or the way up through today. Good Kid Mad City even where it's like – there's a way to talk about the lifestyle without glorifying the negativity of it. Yes. And and it, there's still a way to be romantic about it in a way. And I'm going to be very careful I say that because sure. a lot of these guys, what I'll appreciate is that they don't forget. Yeah. And that's they important. They don't forget their roots. They don't forget where they came from. They don't forget that a lot of their friends obviously are left behind. Absolutely. You know, and so when they put that... Which is hard. It, oh my God, I can't, I, I can't, I actually can't imagine. Like it's I, hard. You know what I mean? So like when, when they yeah. put that out there on something timeless that, you know, the regular white dude in suburbia like me, sure. growing up in, in a decent house, like grows up listening to and then starts to, actually starts to think about it. Not yeah. like the kids you were talking about, right. like, oh, let's go laugh at a YouTube video because right. it's funny and this guy yeah. with funny hair is going to talk to me. It's like, no, damn, like I wonder, and then you start Googling things. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, that exists. Because then, then the art becomes a portal to a world that then you can educate yourself on and appreciate. Yes, exactly. Right? And you're an intellectual. Tons of respect for you. So it's like, yo. Thank you. Absolutely. Try it. I, I get it. You know, you want to learn more versus like, I'm at, I'm, I'm at Made in America and like, I'm just <laughs> drinking my Budweiser Pounders. I don't really know what I'm saying, but I'm just going to say it because it feels good in the moment. And then I go home and yeah, you know, whole different thing. Yeah. You know? A lot of those, though, still. Still, yeah. still a lot of that. Which, I'm again, I'm not mad at it, but for me, I think there is this big debate around like the responsibility of the artist. And personally, 
I don't think there's a, a responsibility to be a role model, but I do think there's a responsibility when you're elected by the people to be in a position, I think you should at least respect the people who put you there. And if you're not leading them in a way that's actually helpful to them, I can't respect that. Oh, this Does that make sense? Yeah, this is really interesting. Yeah. So do you think it's possible, though, that some guys and, and girls over the years don't actively have any understanding that they may be leaning the wrong way on that? Whereas our friend with the hair, I feel like, knows exactly what he's doing. There are people yeah, who are yeah. just totally vulturing. Yeah, whatever. he knows what he's doing, for yeah, sure. right. Mm -hmm. But do you think, like, because you led that with... It's not your job to be a role model, right. which is it's a not. great thing to say because not everyone's built for that. Yeah, it's not. But then I think some of those people who go the wrong way and maybe are, to use your words, like disrespectful of their audience by mm -hmm. what they lead them to try to do, mm -hmm. I think some of them, not all of them, don't do that on purpose or try to do that. I think they're just put in a position where they happen to be great at like this thing yep. and they're just doing it their way and maybe making a lot of mistakes because they're fucked up in the head or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know that then that yeah. downstream effect happens. It comes down to this for me. Is it your truth or is it not? If it's your truth and that's how you're living, whatever, make art about it. Cause that's your lifestyle and that's a lot of people's lifestyle. So you want to make the soundtrack to that lifestyle. Not gonna, I'm not going to blame you for it, right? I'm not going to condone it. But for example, if I'm future, and I'm not saying this is what he does or not because I don't know him, but if I'm future and I'm rapping a lot about lean culture and I'm, I'm glorifying that, but then I find out you're a vegan who's been straight edge for the last decade, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can respect that. I didn't even know that. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that. I'm just saying uh, hypothetically. Okay, okay, okay. Hypothetically, right? <laughs> I was going to say, know. wait. I don't I know if Google future, that one. Yeah, I don't know what future does. But right. I'm just saying, like, just let the shit line up. If you're rapping about your life, rap about your life. Because a lot of people are living that life, and that life deserves a voice. But if that's not your life, it's you. that's not your place to come and try to think right. that you're going to do that. And I think that's disrespectful because a lot of young people, they don't know if that's real or not. No. So it's like, oh, well, that guy's doing it and he's got this and that that I want. So maybe that lifestyle is my way there. And again, don't, you don't need to be a role model, but you just got to be responsible enough to be like, yo, I'm speaking my truth or not. Who were some of the people in pop culture like when you were growing up that you looked up to and you're like, they don't have to be perfect. No one's perfect. Sure. But like you're like, oh, that. Like you mentioned Jay-Z, you mentioned yeah. Kanye. So we talked about a couple of them. And yeah. I think those are great examples for a lot of reasons. But like who were some of the people that you were like that's how it that's how you should do it yeah unfortunately especially if i think about the ones that look like me there weren't enough of them and mm. that and that's why i lean so heavily into into being willing to embrace it right and like most people i know that are great role models don't even want to wear that title because like of what comes with that but for me i'm like fuck it like i i hope there's a young kid from in germantown who looks at me and is like i i, I could be like that and I wear that with pride because it's just like, yo, like, I know what the alternatives are. So if I'm keeping it real with you, like, for me, bro, a lot of my role models were, like, the anti-role models. Like, not in a sense of a negative way, but, like, you know, I come from a family that, like, I've seen my, my dad's story, right? My dad's doing a 30 to 60 right now. Like, my uncles, I, know, I have uncles that died in prison. I have uncles that, that got murdered at 16. So it's like I was really clear on what I didn't want my life to look like. 
So when I started to understand, like, okay, cool, like, here's a path of, away from that. All right, cool. Let me just lock in over there. But how how early on in your life was your dad out of your life? Uh, my dad got booked when I was like, damn, he's been in for twenty two years. So I was like eight, seven or eight. So very young. Yeah. Very and young. you managed to, because I'm just thinking, like, if you were eighteen or something like that, obviously it's traumatic as hell. But you at least have a yeah. You know, you have your view, hopefully for good yeah. or bad, whatever it is, obviously for good, like on the world. But like when you're that young, you I barely remember when I yeah. was seven or eight, you know what I mean? And then yeah. you still found a way to have that type of perspective. And obviously from the time where you were coming of age yeah. in, in your 20s to be like, oh, I definitely don't want to do that. Clearly, yeah, no cut away from it. Here's what I want to do. And here are my passions. Yeah. Um it was a blessing, bro. You know, like, and me and my dad, we've gotten to a place where, like, a lot of my life we didn't have a, a close relationship just because, like, me being young and naive, I'm like, you you can't help me get where I want to go. So, like, I didn't really find value in building that relationship. But then I got older and I'm just like, yo, this, I am a part dad. of this guy. You know what I mean? This mm -hmm. guy's a part of me. Um, but we had a real-ass man talk. And, like, fortunately my dad's super, he's a brilliant dude. And, like, has come to a place where, like, unfortunately he has to but he he's proud to live through me at this point you know what i mean like he looks at me and he's like yo you're you're my wildest dream and like it's funny because there's a whole quote around like us as as upwardly mobile people of color being like yo we are our ancestors wildest dreams but like having your dad who's in that situation say that to you and just be like yo like you're my wildest dream it does something to you because it's like for him, he's at a place where he's come to peace and he's just like, yo, if I had to do what I did in my life for you to be who you are now, I'd do it again. Because mm. the reality, bro, is like if I had my pop in my life when I was like 15, 16, especially the way they were moving in our neighborhood, I would have wanted to be that. Yeah. Come on, man. My, my dad was that bull. So it's like yeah. the way they were moving, the lifestyle that they were living, I know I would have wanted to gravitate towards that. So it's a blessing that I got so intimate with the reality of the situation as opposed to like the romanticism of that situation, which helped me understand like, okay, that shit ain't sustainable. But there's still, I'm sure you have a lot of friends who that's, that's all they knew. Like imagine. Friends, cousins, brothers. <laughs> um, well, shit, man. I <laughs> yeah, mean, bro. imagine like looking at it from my perspective or anyone that hasn't had to live in that that kind of environment like you came up in it's like how do you if you're 10 or 11 and like the wrong guy starts talking to you and being nice to you yeah. how the hell do you know and, and what if it's like yeah. a family member like how do you know to be like oh this guy's leading me down the wrong path you see don't. you don't and that's what i think sometimes people don't get like i think a lot of people who aren't from these environments and i'll say this too real quick I had a very, very unique experience growing up because I got to see both sides. Like mm. my family's from Germantown, grew up in that in that whole situation. I kind of outlined my family background, but also my I was raising my grandmother, who was wise enough and had the foresight to be like, I got to get to in a different environment if you're mm. actually going to be successful. So I went to high school in the burbs. So like I went to high school in Bucks County, which is like one of the fucking wealthiest counties. Where'd in you go to high school? William Tennant. Okay, so not not. 
Council Rocks up there, right? We played them in sports. Got it. Right? Okay. So, so it's like, like right there. Yeah. so I'm like coming from the inner city, still going back and forth. But then also I'm like, yo, motherfuckers got in-ground pools out here. Like, so I got to see both sides and then I could be like, oh, okay, well, all right. <laughs> Which way do I want to go? Perspective. Yeah. And not to say that like I wanted to be like those kids. And in high school, it's like, okay, I want what those kids have in a certain way. Exactly. Uh, yes. But there was a, there was a clarity and perspective that got to be built. But uh, the thing I was going to say is just like, there's such an important um, role that empathy plays when people who don't really understand the nuance of the lifestyle want to look at people who are like in gangs. They want to look at people who are living that life and like you want to just villainize really quick. But it's like, yo, like, for example, I have a, a friend that I grew up with since pretty young who comes from L.A., right? And like gang culture in L.A., like I don't even think people on the East Coast, especially not in this area, can really even understand how deep gang culture goes mm. it's not just oh i decided to be in a gang it's like nah i'm three generations in yes. to this situation or that situation and if like and if i want to just survive in my situation that's what i'm gonna do so when you say like what happens if like a guy takes a liking to you and shows you the ropes and looks out and you realize that like in the macro you know maybe you know maybe he's not a good guy right but like in the micro he is a good guy he's nice to you there's a lot of people out here who are raised by, let's say, good, bad guys. Wow. And that's just the reality, bro. And it's like you could blame the, the guy who decided to be the good, bad guy. Or we can start to really zoom out and say, yo, like, everyone's out here just trying to survive with what they have at the time. And that's the thing. Nothing's ever changed to try to fix it at a mass scale. The way it's fixed is people who, through blessings in their environment, like the sometimes the smallest things, and through their own intuition and determination, find their way to say, fuck this, yeah. right? And, and there's all different stories for it, and yours is one of them, but that's, that's the narrative, whereas the other side of the narrative, which is still the majority of it, mm -hmm. and it's all over the country. It's a, anywhere there's a poor community, right? Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of people who are born into an environment that they didn't choose Facts. and they are put in a position where survival is the thought. And so when survival is the thought, people lean on the tribe and they lean on the people who show strength. And the people that show strength are the ones who figured out how to survive. And the only way to survive was to figure out how to do shit that you're supposedly not allowed to do. <laughs> and then all the things that come with it. Yeah. That's a wild thing it's wild. to consider. So going back to your question of like the role models, right? Like who are you looking at that's like, yo, this person's getting it. That's why it's so important for us to have more role models and leaders in our community because it's really fucking hard to be what you can't see. Wow. So if you don't see people out here getting it the, the right way, who are you to be a fucking snotty-nosed kid, you know, fucking in that environment being like, I'm gonna get a job. <laughs> yeah. It's like what, bro? So, yeah, yeah, it gets deep, but that's why for me, it's all about being able to to just lend my time, my talent to a thing that can allow someone to be able to go into a space and and really create their their future without sacrificing their integrity. Mm. And like a lot of times when we talk about integrity, it's like on the big level of like you're doing shit that you don't really believe in. But even, bro, walking into that job, and you probably felt like this, you walk into that job and then all of a sudden you realize, like, you can't dress how you want to dress, you can't fucking talk how you want to talk, you, you're really thinking this, but you can't say that because then your, your fucking job's on the line. Like, 
it's like, yo, like that's not good for humans. No. You feel me? So it's like, yo, come on, yo. Let's let's teach people how to fucking be who they are and get paid to be themselves. And let's just move from there. And you even made the clarification earlier, which was important, that all these people who were working in cubicles in that type of system, not bad that changed and they went and work remote because the the downside is no different and there's actually some upside because you're not meant to be in this little box, you know, with a headset on. It's it's a like I didn't even work in a cubicle. I didn't. Okay. Good. I worked with we had six people all right there. And okay. like there's a little separator, but everyone sees each other whole nine. Even that mm-hmm. was not natural to me. And right. I, I couldn't have known that coming out yeah. of college. They don't teach you that shit in college. No nor do I have the expectation that that's the kind of thing they would. And yeah. there's a lot of things I wish they would teach in college. That's not one. You kind of got to figure that out. But yeah. like, you know, when you're when you're around other people, that's where good things can happen. And like you've said this a couple of times, but the whole sur- the people you surround yourself with. I'm still looking at that mm-hmm. picture we have up there. You should put that on your wall. I, I, honestly, <laughs> that's a perfect kind of thing right? to figure out how to put figured, onto a wall in the future that. studio here. hundred <laughs> percent. When I build a bigger one like sure. that's that's on the list but maybe i'll put it on a t-shirt there you go actually <laughs> there <cool>. you go <laughs> but you know finding that type of environment it it seems simple it seems like a formula it's like oh yeah just go find people who are who are like-minded or you know are are cool and, and motivated well what what about where you are what about mm-hmm. getting to those people is the only way you can get to them is is it joining a discord group which isn't going to accomplish the whole thing sure whereas like to me, you – and I want to ask you also yeah. about we'll, – we'll come back to it, like what you wanted to do with your life even before this was a thought. But sure. like you went out and you scratched your own itch here because you're like, okay, I want to go find – I'm creative, whatever it is, whatever yep. my interest is. I want to go find these kinds of people so that I can build a community with them and yep. then invite in other people so that they don't have to be like me and be yep. thinking, where the hell am I going to find that? Yep. Yeah. It look, the the beauty of of what I've been able to build, it's like you said, I got to solve my own problem first. So like before the model of rec was built, I literally when I decided to quit my job, I moved into a studio in a warehouse in North Philly where me and my boy Leonzo could just be us. And mm. I and I put my fucking I was shooting videos at that time, taking photos, so I built a backdrop on one John. We built a recording studio for him. That's the first time someone says John said John in here too. I'm pretty really. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Man. I know. know. <laughs> Surprised the first time I said it today. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like our couch was our co working space, right? And and in that space, we just programmed ourselves and each other to be the entrepreneurs we wanted to be. And then when all of our homies that came by never wanted to leave, we realized then that it was like. Oh, the reason we're here is because this 600 square foot studio at Ninth and Dolphin in the middle of the hood in North Philly is the only place we have in our lives to feel like ourselves. And it's got everything that we need to create and express ourselves. And it's got none of the distractions that we don't need. And other people want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So you got to get some more real estate. Yeah. So I said, all right, well, y'all yeah. motherfuckers is here all the time. Like rent is coming up in a couple of weeks. We could just pitch up. And we can invest in better equipment. We can go from one room to two, to three, to five. Eventually, we got to seven. And that's when it was like, yo, all right, y'all, we have seven rooms in this warehouse that we don't own. We have over 350 members. If we can actually do something, like, serious, not that what we weren't, we're doing then wasn't serious, but it's like, if we can do this right, 
we can raise some money and, and, and be able to really scale up in a meaningful way. Mm. And that's what we did. Um, but anyway, I, I got a little sidetracked because one of the things you said, you were like, you almost said like, what's the formula to success, right? You, you alluded to like the formula of like... I may have. We were just talking about a bunch of things, yeah. maybe. Um, it's interesting. I did my first TED Talk um, recently. It just, oh, congrats, man. Thank you. How does that work, by the way? Sorry, quick sidebar. Yeah, go for it. How, like, does, what is, how do you do How do you get talk? invited? Like, was it a TEDx? Yeah. Where'd you do it? So mine was a TEDx. Um, and the thing about TEDx is, is like, essentially they're organized independently where ted the official guys say that like this person that pitches to be like i want to hold a tedx we want to talk about these these topics or like this theme they then have the ability to say hey you can do a, a tedx talk yada, yada yada so um it was crazy i had a member who had invited me on their podcast um and she's you know we have members of all ages and stuff she's you know probably in her like 40s or even 50s educator um, super dope woman, but she invited me on her podcast. We had a great conversation, invited me on another podcast. She was a part of, we had a great conversation. And then eventually she organized a Ted talk. Um, and then she was like, yo, Will, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. doing this Ted talk. And I was like, yo, I've always wanted to do one. Um, so then that's how that kind of came about. And what was it on? Cause I think that's what you were starting to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, TEDx is all around a theme. So she's an educator. So the theme essentially was education. Mm. So my talk had to lend itself in some way to that topic. So when I heard education, like my brain automatically went to education reform. Yeah. <laughs> Just cause, and I, and I remember watching an episode that you did and you and your boy were riffing around like the programming of the education system. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Geo. Yeah. yeah. He was, I got to tell you, man, he nailed a lot of that. Like he put an image on it. Spot on. Spot yeah. on. Um, so when I, when I heard the education theme, I was like, okay, education reform. So my topic of, of my talk is, when will we start teaching freedom? Mm. So I pretty much break down like what I've learned to this point in my life, what has been like my secret sauce and my recipe to what my version of freedom is. You know, your, your whole freedom thing, though, comes from a way deeper place, too. Like it all ties together yeah. because you wanted freedom from the community you were born into. That said, like this is what this is what most of us end up being. No, I don't want to be that. I want freedom from that. Freedom, not from just to be specific, not from the community, but from the trappings of the community. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that clarification. Sure. You wanted you wanted freedom that your dad didn't have. Boom. You wanted freedom that you could go put your own mark on things, and then you wanted to take that freedom so that other people could do the same thing. Boom. And you don't have to you don't have to own anybody. You there don't have you to create a an old school model or whatever. It's just like. I love that gym membership thing. It's, yeah. it's literally like creating resources and saying, come on in. That's it, man. Wow, you, you broke that down really nicely. And uh, you spoke to a lot of the things in the talk. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great, dude. But that's, but that's what it's about, man. And like, you know, again, and, and we don't have to get too deep here, but it's just like... Get deep. I don't okay. care. So I'll put it Let's like this. It. One of the things I mentioned in my talk is like, as a black man, business and entrepreneurship is just a little bit more personal for me. Mm. because I come from a lineage of people who came to America on a balance sheet. We were wealth before there was wealth. Has anyone ever said that before? Yeah, I got that quote from a woman named Pamela Jolly. Dr. Pamela Jolly. That's deep. Brilliant black woman. And literally when I heard her even speak around the concept, it blew my mind and changed my life. And I was just like, I've never heard it articulated that way. She's like, we're the only people who ever came to America on a balance sheet. 
So the idea of us building wealth for ourselves and, and not giving up our culture in the process of doing that, it's the most important thing we can ever do. Right? Because yeah. we came here, we're really valuable. Someone else thought we were valuable enough to say, hey, you're going to come and make our shit valuable. And then the people, unfortunately, that have sought out wealth for themselves that look like me have had to give up their culture in the process of doing it. Yeah. So, so for me, it's like, yo, let's, mm -mm. how can we build a new reality where people can build wealth for themselves, but also like still be themselves? And that's why it's just so personal for me. There's no better way to do that than a creator economy. Boom. Because blending in is the worst possible thing you can do in that. Boom. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what, that's really what I think um, I get at when, when, I, when we're at rec, there's this, there's this feeling that members or, or even potential members get when they walk into our space. Um, and this is no matter where you come from, but especially if you're a person of color, when you walk into our space, there's this feeling of possibility that just overwhelms you because you come into the space and you're like, damn, I don't know if I've ever been in another place that's celebrated all of who I am. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. certain environments are like, oh, we love this thing about you, but like, don't bring that part. Exactly. You know, but it's like, yo, nah, I'm wrecked. Like, like we say, we don't, we didn't create a safe space. We created a brave space, like a space for you to really be your fullest. And most of us don't have places in our lives that, really champion that especially if you like come from parents who like are like hold on what do you want to do with your life how are you gonna make money what's plan b and then you get into a space and you see other cats that are just super creative super out there and doing it and like doing it for real you're like oh there are spaces for people like me you know what i think has been an incredible downstream cultural effect from and it's and it's more than just black creators of like everything, like all of them, but I'm going to focus on that for a second. I think mm -hmm. a huge downstream effect has been that it's also woken up people who are not people of color mm -hmm. to realize that while on a smaller scale, let's be honest here, sure. but on a much smaller scale, there are things that like, and I'll speak for myself that we never paid attention to in like how things work in society yeah. that we never thought of that programming. We yeah. never thought of this is how things are and you you must do it like this. And so we just, I mean, I definitely did this. We just openly jump into it because we're like, oh, that's what it is. And yeah. that's why we've seen a huge, we've seen behind the curtain, I should yeah. say, of corporate culture. Yeah. And that's why people like me were like, bye. Facts. You know what I mean? Because we wouldn't have taught anything other than like, hey, you get the job, you you marry by 30, you have a family, you build a 401k, right. you <laughs> save some money, you go retire to a beach, you look up at the sun and guess what? You die, but it was a good life. Right. Like that was sold to us for a long time. And yet even like from a lower level where there, there are a lot of people in, in black communities and in minority communities who have mm -hmm. for years thought like, damn, that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. There were other things that are just on the basics to getting into something like that, that you're like, oh, we're not allowed to do this if we want to do that fuck that right and so now people i feel like you talked about empathy i feel i feel like people like me today in 2021 can empathize with that much more than i would have been able to in 2001 i agree yeah. i agree and um the awareness is is the first important part um because i think like the biggest weapon of privilege is not needing to to be aware yeah you know what i mean because it's like yeah it's cool this is the system. It works. 
But then when you're like, okay, hold on, who's it work for? Who doesn't it work for? Then it's like, oh, okay, fuck. Um, And I think we're finally getting to a place where like, we all have the awareness of like, wait, this doesn't actually work even for the people it was supposed to work for. Opioid crisis. Yeah. Right? Things like that. And it gets, it just starts to get messy. And, you know, I'm not going to say the, I'll say it this way. Um, I think the special thing about what's been happening lately is there's a bigger, there's just a bigger of a war on poor people as there are on black people. And now that's allowing other allies to come into the fight from a real place. What do, wait, what do you mean by that? Um, I think I think in America, um, historically, there's been a, a, a war on black people. Sure. Agreed. And a lot of darker people, but I'll just sure. say black people. Um, but now it's like, the only thing worse than being black is being poor. I think I know what you mean. So if I if I'm not following you when I say this, just correct the record for me. But one of my favorite topics, I, favorite's the wrong word, but it's yeah. something I like to talk about because it doesn't get attention, is the moving wealth gap yeah. in this country. Crazy. Okay, so we're on the same wavelength. Here. Yep. Yeah. What blows my mind is that <clears throat> simultaneously we have bad coming from both angles because we're pushing people against each other with that quote-unquote war on poor people, which mm-hmm. I agree. There is one. And that is people will come in and say now, like if you're poor, there's more, why don't I have that when someone does? Because by the way, some mm-hmm. of the people who do maybe didn't earn it. Sure. Other people did, right? But yeah. even for the people who did, we're like, wait, you have a Ferrari. I want one too. Yeah. There's this whole – John Boric was in here. He described that beautifully. There is this this weird like jealousy in society that then leads us to attack people in power strictly because they earn power. However – That's a defense mechanism by the way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It is a – I believe everything in the world is – I think I'm scientifically backed on this. Everything in the world is a response. So what do you respond to? <laughs> you respond to years and years of people telling you, no, fuck you. Yeah. And now just maybe if there's some different people in there who weren't the ones doing that, guess what? Yeah. You're just in the position now where that's what it is. And I'm not saying it's right. I don't believe in either. Yeah. But I'm saying you have to – like the people at the highest level of society, I'm mm-hmm. talking the one of the 1% of the one of the one of the one. Yeah. The people who actually run shit. People yeah. at governments. People who run the biggest corporations. The people who people are talking about when they use the p- terrible grouping that they call the Illuminati. Exactly. That's <laughs> I use that all the time. I'm glad you said that. I always talk about the Illuminati, this Illuminati. Yeah. But like those people, they have managed to allow that gap to form, which check every stat there is since the 1980s. It is unquestionable. It has happened. They've allowed that to form and they've kept things afloat by convincing all the people – in my opinion, down here, and I'm not even just talking poor people. I'm talking the full 99%, but let's vote, let's zone sure. in on, on the fact that we have way too high of a number of poverty in this country yeah. for what we are capable of. Yeah, it's crazy. They have convinced all these people that along certain controversial lines, mm-hmm. you should hate each other and fight Facts. such that you ignore the issues at the top. And that's Facts. why I'm very outspoken about like the bullshit of the two-party system, all that stuff. But it's yeah. much more than that. Yeah, that's – yeah. That's it. That's the that's the trap. The trap is fight the people that are three blocks away from where you live as opposed to the people who have created the realities for both of you. 
Yeah. That's been that's been the, the age old thing. You know what though? You get to see people come in with a smile on things, regardless of where, you know, what their background is, what their interests are. They come in there to that 100%. brave space and they're like mm-hmm. they're motivated. Yep. You know what I mean? They're not thinking about like who won the last election or nope. you know, what's going on down the street with a rally or something like that. Yeah. They're like, All right, I'm I'm here to create right now. I agree. Yes, yes and, and um one, yes. There there's such a positive energy in our space. Um that's just like what we've bred. I think that's just who our folks are. Um, but also the cool thing is um, there is a large population of our members who inherently um, lend their creativity to some level of activism. Yeah. And that's not what I was getting at. Okay. I was, I was getting at yeah, they're not like, mad at the world. I was getting at when they come in there, they can at least when they're creating some things while the work, while their work, they will work in some activism on a certain level about things they're passionate about as they should. <laughs> they can at least block out some of the things that drive them fucking nuts all the time. That's correct. When they're not inherently creating those assets that directly like, That's you know, correct. so for, by the way, for someone like, as an example, for someone who has a podcast that talks about social justice, this doesn't apply. Like sure. every single thing they're creating, they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? So sure. like, I'm talking about the person who's, who's an artist, they're painting shit, they're, yeah. they're a musician, whatever. There's an aspect to which they'll focus on it, but like they can at least get away from it. Yeah. They can at least say like, all right, so, because like even the things they're passionate about, the people that they want to, you know, get out of power to who aren't passionate about those things or whatever, yeah, they're just replaced by people who suck too. And unfortunately, <laughs> these activists they know that. Yeah, politics is a, a very slow moving game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's the thing though, man. Uh, that space is important though, because it's like if you don't get that couple hours a day or a couple hours a week or even a couple hours a month to be able to like, okay, I can exhale. That's the shit that winds you up and makes you go crazy eventually if you don't have those spaces of expression. Well, that's why a lot of people went crazy. Like not just creatives, like everyone went yeah. crazy in the pandemic. Wild. Wild. There's no place to put all that rage. So they put it in comment sections and think that that gets it out. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> my man, it doesn't. It ain't. <laughs> no, it ain't. It's just, Yeah. It ain't. <laughs> but what about like during, because, you know, there's still like all these variants and all this shit flying around. Like, how did you guys do like on the physical side, like the physical space side when yeah. this all hit? Because I would imagine for a while there, you weren't having anyone roll through. Yeah, we couldn't. You know, the city, um, <laughs> one I'll just say it was a fucking roller coaster, especially emotionally. Um, just because. For context, we opened the brand new space December of 2019. <sighs> Three months later, we get whispers of this thing's happening, right? And I'll never forget, man. It was um, mid-March, and um, I did a fireside chat with Damon John from Shark Tank, yeah. FUBU, and all that. Yeah. And I was leading up to the event. We're worried because we're like, yo, is he still going to be down to do this? Like, the world's going crazy. Um, but fortunately, he still was like, yo, we're going to make this happen. Um that's awesome. But then literally the next day, the city passed um, the ordinance or whatever, and they were like, yo, physical spaces that aren't, um, you know, necessities in some way had to shut down. And um, it was a killer because it was just like, yo, I worked so fucking hard. Our whole team worked so hard to even make that space possible. So to hear that because of nothing that we did, we had to close the doors. It was just like, no, <laughs> we're staying open. Like I went through all of those fucking emotions of grief and denial and all that shit you know um and then it got to a point where it was just like yo we had to figure out how we could still uphold the mission without having this beautiful million dollar facility how'd you do that man i mean one um like i was mentioning a lot of what we do is about education 
so almost overnight and i'm like super proud of the team like overnight we transitioned the what we had 22 events on the calendar that month overnight all of them went virtual so literally there was like almost no interruption of the educational stuff so we really pivoted quickly and still were able to bring in industry experts to do these like you know zoom johns and then we got like wirecast and like made it sexier but like wait you had the wirecast in there yeah, we'd use Wirecast for some of our programming to just make it a little Oh, I more. thought you were referring to the show. We got the Wirecast to come in. Oh, no, 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 no. I was like, oh, that's no, fucking no, no. sick. Nah, you know, like OBS, Wirecast, <laughs> yeah, or these like, okay, streaming no, services. Not, not familiar, but okay. Okay, yeah, but no, we didn't have like the cast of The Wire, because that would be fire. That would have been awesome. Yeah, right, rest yeah. in peace to my guy, too. Oh, my God, yeah, Crazy. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, so overnight, all of that um, programming went virtual, so that was a way to just you know keep people informed, so that way it's like, yo, you're in the crib now. Don't stop building your business. Don't stop, you know, understanding digital strategy because it's more important now than ever. So that was cool. And then after that, man, it was like, yo, we just, me and my co-founder Dave looked at each other and we're just like, bro, like, we have to figure out how we can support creators. And we literally just picked up the phone and started calling members. And at this time, we had almost 900 members. Mm. So literally, we were like, all right, bro, let's look at the database and all right, cool, I'll call this 50, you call that 50, and let's keep going until it's done. So we're literally talking to people and literally just asking, like, what do you need right now? And, you know, a lot of our members are people who are making money touring or they're a photographer that makes all their money shooting weddings. All done. Their, all their income went to zero. Yeah. So one of the things that we didn't think we would need to do, um, we decided to say, yo, let's, let's create a grant program and let's give people cash. You know, and um, that was a really hard business decision because, like, didn't make sense, right? From the textbook shareholder value. Wasn't a textbook time, though. Nah, it wasn't a textbook time. And, like, we're not one of those companies that just, like, preach community. Like, a WeWork, for example. <laughs> you know I was mean? wondering like, when that was going to come up. Yeah. You know, like, they, they talk about community, but, like, drinking from the same keg is not community, no. right? Um, but anyway, it was like, yeah, what, what does our, our people need right now? And, it was cool because we have this positioning in Philly of being right in there with the creative community, but also in the traditional business community, especially like the startup community. And um, it allowed us to really leverage that positioning and say, yo, all these companies who have been saying, oh, we love creators, we love, you know what I mean? Like all this and that. It was like, cool. Well, we need you right now. So if you're really about what you said, now is the perfect time to put your money where your mouth is so we can raise funds to be able to help our creators who who need these stipends. And so the Live Nations of the world did. Boom. The Live Nations, the Ballard Spar, which is like a law firm, yeah. to the gurus yeah. of the world, which is one of the biggest startups in the city. Like, And they did it, you know, and even down to like the Comcast, right? So we were able to distribute over $60,000 worth of, of grants to people. Wow. And like doing things like that again it's like that's not scalable per se or that wasn't a part of the model but sometimes it's like listening to your community yes. and then showing up for them that's what allowed us when we reopened six months later we got 85 percent of our members back like almost overnight and you guys only had that big physical space around for three months three before months this bro three that's months. amazing it was nuts and then what's the result of that so 2020 um we're closed six out of 12 months which is nuts. Yeah. Still grew our membership base, highest revenue to date. You know what I mean? Like, and that really just came from us pivoting, understanding what our people needed, delivering on that, and showing up for people to help them understand that, like, yo, this ain't just about the transaction. 
we're really doing what we say we do. And people feel that. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what companies can you say, like, yo, the founder called me when I was down and was like, yo, bro, how can I help? That's awesome. You know, so that's how that went. And, like, on the other side of it, it's like, it helped me as a founder and, and someone who's, you know, on the, the product side of things be like, yo, there, there were still hundreds of members who were still like, yo, I'm riding out. I'm still going to, even though I can't get in the space to record, like, I'm still going to pay my membership. And I love those people. I'm like, yo, shout out y'all because that's some real, real deal stuff right there. But that's, you know what? Take credit for that. I mean, you're a humble guy, but I'm going to give you credit for that. Like, you don't get that type of response if you don't create the space for it to, to, to give it. Like, yeah. what people have to be motivated, not motivated, inspired mm. to want to be a part of that. And I'll even say that maybe with the businesses too, the big places to Facts. an extent, right? Facts. Like, it, the, the people who are, who are paying it forward there are... Yes, they're investing in Rec Philly, but like they're investing in your team. Yeah. They're investing in the fact that okay, these people really give a shit. Yeah. And what's what's really coming across today, and it's it's a rare it's a rare talent, but people who do special things have it, is that you're a guy like you're this very nice late I would describe you as a laid back guy. You are yeah. not in people's face flipping at like you're you're <laughs> just you're just a nice guy. Like I like being around you. But you don't take no for an answer. Nah. And I, and I mean that in the sense that, like, not if it's like, hey, don't kill somebody. All right, I'll, I'll say no to that. No problem. But, like, I mean, like, in figuring out how to provide value. The, yeah. the people who find a way to be like, let's find a way. Yeah. Rather than, no, we can't do that. Yeah. Rare. Yeah, that's what it's about, man. And, like, um, I don't really take credit to for that personally. That's more of just, like, Again, I take the good with the bad, and like I was raised in a way that I couldn't take no for an answer. Mm. I didn't have that privilege, so it was like I'm gonna figure it out, right? Again, coming from where I came from, and then going to the burbs, it's like, oh, field trip. I want to go to the Franklin Institute. My parents might not have a bread, but I gotta find it. I'm hustling Pokemon cards, whatever <laughs> I gotta do. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, but that was just built. I mean, I think that's what what helped me build the entrepreneur muscle. You know what I mean? So I'm grateful for all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the other thing, though, is in that time when I realized that people were still showing up for us and being like, yo, I'm not canceling my membership. I want to be here. It helped me understand that there is value in a digital membership as well. So for folks mm. who may not be in proximity to the the actual hub and the physical space, people are taking value out of the educational program. People are taking value in being on the app and being able to go through the directory, connect with other members and this and that, look at the opportunity board, being able to to get gigs. Um, so it helped me build a digital membership that we're going to use to scale around the country. And what's cool about that is the digital membership is going to help us be informed about like, where's our tribe well before we put a brick in that city, mm. you know, cause right now we're getting ready to go to our first expansion city, which is super exciting. Um, but as we roll that out, you know, we get to also roll out this digital tier, which is going to be really exciting. Having that foresight though, where, where you have people who it's like, they're bought in and they're motivated to want to be the conduit that makes, you know, rec DC and like all yeah. these different things Yeah, where it's not like you have to write down the business plan of like in March, 2022, we're going there. It's more like, all right, let's see where we're at. Let's take care of those people. Let's not take care. Let's bring them in the fold. And then eventually you're going to inspire the question to get popped on their end, which is, Hey, can we do that? Can exactly. And that's that's what's beautiful. It's like 
my job right now, and the reason I love doing things like this is I get to just fucking share my perspective. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who who think the same way I think. They're already doing really meaningful work in whatever city they're from, trying to help creatives. And, you know, the one thing that, that we did is we've been able to build the model and we found success with it. But it's like, yeah, we didn't just solve a Philly problem. No. So at this point, it's like, yo, I want to go find the Will and Dave and Scarlett of Miami, of Atlanta, of Chicago, of Detroit, you know what I mean? Of San Juan, Puerto Rico, of London, and say, yo, guys, here's the model. Don't fucking take seven years to build it from scratch. Let's figure out how we can be partners in this in a meaningful way. And that's what it's all about. For me, the vision is we want 50 of these around the world. Mm. So that way, when you know a dope, talented creator like yourself build from the hometown, build your, your tribe on the internet, maybe you want to go do a live podcast in London because you've got you know, 4,000 fans out there. Yeah. You can do that in a way of like, I know there's resources waiting for me. I know there's a venue waiting for me. I know there's like-minded people waiting for me. As opposed to what most artists do is they lose a bunch of money on the road on that first turn and they go to the seedy hotels and they struggle to find a place to record. So they record on the bus and it's like, right. nah, we, we got a hub for you. What did the artists who succeeded with the pandemic that you saw like in your community even mm-hmm. or even outside – do to make like a fuck ton of money when all of their live shows dried up? That's a good question. Um, I think the artists who found success through the pandemic, um, they did a couple of things really well. One, they really took a hard look at what value they were actually delivering to their people. Mm. You know, again, it's not everyone understands that like, bro, the music ain't actually the product. Maybe the product's actually the feeling you give people. So how do you still show up and give people that feeling, even if it's not just through whatever you were doing in person, right? Like, you know, like for me, we were were really preaching the understanding of like self-awareness and consistency because it's like some artists crush it in the live space. And it's not just because they can only deliver that feeling when you're six feet away in front of the concert, but it's like, how do you tap into your creativity so you can create the content that delivers that feeling and that emotion. So artists that were doing that, um, artists that were vulnerable enough to really connect with their fans and like communicate. Like a lot of people sometimes as creators, like we want to hide behind like the screen, but we're afraid to actually DM somebody and be like, yo, here's what I'm working on. What do Mm -hmm. you think? Right? Like, like here's a, for example, like here's a gem. This is something that I always tell musicians um, when they're about to release a project that for some reason no one ever thinks to do. Before you release a new album that you've worked on for two years and spent all your money on, why not make a list of 100 people that you know are your fans? People who genuinely talk about you and have paid you money before, right? Most people don't even know. They couldn't even tell me who their top 100 fans were. Sure, You should be able to do that. How meaningful would it be if you took the time to direct message all 100 of those people and say, yo, my new project's coming out in a couple weeks. I would really love for you to check out this private link. If it resonates, let me know what you think. Help me share it when it comes out. They don't understand how much, like, like who's, who's one of your favorite musicians? I got a lot, man. Give me one. Let's go with Pac over there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's not alive. But if Pac ever did that to you, and sent he you might a- be <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious maybe maybe on an island okay, no, not really but if Pac ever reached out to you and was just like yo bro here's my album let me know what you think 
you know how crazy you're gonna be when that album drops just running around telling your homies like bro guess who hit me up i got to hear this way before yada 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 like there's such a value that that artist gave you just because you feel seen right and you become a marketing machine right we call that earned media right but the artist has to be like self-aware enough and vulnerable enough to actually want to engage in that way and remind each other that we're all humans as opposed to just being I'm not gonna talk to nobody. I'm just gonna drop my album, and everybody better listen. No one deserves. No one owes you that time. Yeah, that, that's that's not that's not the way the world works now. You know, right? But things like that, right? So people who just had the self awareness to be like, yo, um, I'm gonna find other meaningful ways to engage. They 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 won. And then other people who like didn't disrespect the digital. People who respected it and like leaned in and was like, yo, what can I create and how? It's all about connection. And they just they thrived in that. Yeah, and, and like the people who tried it, it really depended like what you were in. I know that a lot of people in certain spaces were like, all right, it's not the same. It's also not the same, for example, to do a virtual concert. You know, right. Like, it's and not no the one's, same. No one's arguing that virtual it is. concerts suck. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it's it's not the thing. But what else is there? Right. You know, it you were making the point of like if if someone crazy, like a huge person hit you up. The one pushback on that would be if I'm an up and coming creator, right? Yeah. Versus versus like if if Pac hit you up, I would say, bro, it does. They don't even have to be crazy. Like for example, um, I went to college out in Pittsburgh. I was in I was out there 2009 to 2012. Mac Miller wasn't a superstar. Yeah, he kind of blew up like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Wiz, same thing. If they did that at that time, bro, it would still mean the world. You We'd, think so? Yeah. Yeah, bro. Especially if like, because I think the relationship to a, to an indie artist and like, if you really, really, really love the art, you almost like the artist more before their household name. So like that is true. That best kept that secret true. feeling. That's your secret sauce. You know it's what like, I mean? It's, it's like the weekend. The weekend was one of those for me. Right. Because when it's pure, like when no one knew who he was, my buddy Drake, unrelated, <laughs> different person. Um, <laughs> my buddy Drake put me yeah, onto the weekend. It, it, yeah, literally. <laughs> he was sitting in like the main room in a house at college. Yeah. Bumping the weekend, and yeah. I'm just like walking through the room, and I'm like, what "The fuck is that?" Yeah. And I I go up to him, and he like goes to hand me a joint. I'm like, "No, no, no. What what's the music?" Yeah. And he's like. Oh, this is the weekend. He's fire. I'm like superstar, and I, I'll yeah. never because that song was yeah. Wicked Games. And so even though Ooh, he's had a shit. lot of unbelievable music since then that I love, yeah. that's the best song he ever made, bro. You right now have super fans that if you've reached out to them, they're yo, bro. I've, I've been a I've been a listener since episode twenty. It I would, do talk with them, yes, as you should. They're awesome, but uh, but some people just overlook that, and because they don't have a hundred thousand followers, they don't think that the the connection's deep. See, I don't. I want to be careful then because I'm the opposite on that. I love talking with the fans. Like when people hit me up in my DMs who I haven't talked to before, I'm asking them questions. I'll go back and forth. I'll form a relationship with them because I'm so curious about who they are. Yeah. Because this is such an – we talk about a whole bunch of shit in here. You know what yeah. I mean? There's all kinds of people rolling through here that are just yeah. like wild perspectives. So it's like, well, what do you really – what do you vibe with here? I'm always curious. And – that's they, the best question I ask. Dude, they they give me phenomenal answers. Mm -hmm. And so I don't doubt that value. And by the way, some of them will – I'm very bad at asking for things, which I have to get better at. Mm -hmm. But like some of them 
absolutely share the hell out of it. And, yep. and it's true. My question is, how many people, if it's like, if someone crazy hits you up, I mean, people are going to take a picture of the message and send it out to people and then never, you know what I mean? Sure. Like there's another level to it. Yeah. What I didn't want to say in that argument though, and I may have said this inadvertently, so let me correct the record, is it. that it doesn't mean that there isn't a real value there and that people will be more motivated overall mm -hmm. across the diaspora of people you reach out to, to do something for you. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right about that. Yeah. I think we just, um, we, we look at here. Let me say the answer to the question you asked me originally in a simpler way. The people who won in the pandemic, the artists who won are the people who realized that their fan base was a community and not just an audience. Mm. That's who won communities they want to help like people if you want to build an audience give them something to watch or something to listen to but if you want to build a community give them something to do so when i could reach out to one of my fans and be like yo i'm working on this project i really need this thing there's people who i know would reach out and be like yo my uncle has that thing i could ask him if you just let me pull up to the they're a fan for life now because you got they got a level of access that like right. they never expected to get but again, some artists, some creators, they don't have that perspective. It's like they want to be cooler than life, you know what I mean? And they want to show up perfect. But it's like they don't understand that that vulnerability is actually like the superpower. They're not like you. That's what they want to put off. It still blows there you my go. mind. It's th yeah, they're not like this. It's like this. I want to show you something after because he did it way better than me. But I'll do a real cliff note version real fast. There's a guy named Charlie Jabali. They call him Charlie Rocket. You ever okay. hear of him? Mm -mm. He was... He was a fat kid in his mom's basement, like as he would describe himself, who loved hip hop. Okay. And so he ended up like building a studio down there when he yeah. was a kid, invited in all this talent around Atlanta, yeah. ends up finding two chains, blows up. Yeah, like the whole nine. Interesting. So he's like, he's had an interesting life. He's very vulnerable about it, yeah. like, all his struggles and stuff, but he's a motivational kind of speaker guy now. Hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's like a little rah rah, and I'm like, okay, whatever. But. Some of his theories are so unreal, and he had one where he talked about figuring out who was – it started with who's the highest grossing superhero of all time across the franchises, right? Mm -hmm. And so he was expecting it to be Batman or Superman, Superman like yeah. good-looking one. It was Spider-Man. Spider-Man was sense. the average-looking dude from like right. a lower yep. middle-class household. Yep. Parents died, you know, no chiseled chin, whatever, yep. and he's like, all right, well, what about – what about religion? What's the biggest religion in the world? And he's like, Christianity, by following. Sure. And he goes, all right, who's the face there? Jesus. Right. Carpenter. Wore shitty clothes. Yeah, hung right. around poor people. What wasn't riding around in like this armor and everything. Yep. And he's like, all right, what about sports? Not LeBron's fault, not Kobe's fault, but Michael Jordan. Because Michael Jordan was the guy who got cut from his high school basketball yeah. team, who even as much of a dick as he might be, sometimes people yeah. ignore that because they see like he's he's like you. He had the struggle. Yeah. And, and he's then a flawed hero. Yes, yes. And the final one you'll love. Hmm. He's like, if it could be true for a corporation, I'm on to something here. He's like, what's the best, what's the most important corporation of all time? Apple. Who founded Apple? Mm -hmm. That guy, Steve yeah. Jobs. And yeah. he's like, Steve Jobs was the first guy to not wear a suit. Yeah. He had a beard. He looked like your dad. Yep. He, was a, he was a crotchety guy yep. you know what i mean like and he's like holy shit all these people aren't the perfect environment they they, they they're not mm -hmm. from the perfect environment they're not the perfect people yeah. they have flaws and they have strengths but they come from a basis that is just like the average person and you that's can it. see yourself in them boom that's it that's that's the recipe and i think um what's interesting is 
a lot of creators fall into the trap to think that they got to be perfect and then they want to play it up and be something they're not when really it's like, nah, bro, you're, you're making yourself unrelatable. Right. You know? So yeah, that, that's it. But one, one last question for you. Cause I know, I know you got to go and thanks for doing this in a crunch. Obviously I was mixed up with the time. So sure, I really, no I really appreciate that. But where, where do you see, like you've talked about expanding across cities, which obviously is coming now and yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. That's you. awesome. Super excited about it. But like, is your only thought right now building out like the rec community or are there also like some dreams you have, even if it's like five, 10 years down the road that you want to slowly get oh, towards? Oh yeah. I got, a, I got a, a bunch of those. I'll name a few. Okay. Um, I would like to build... The rec community, though, 50 cities. Um, I know we're just at a really beautiful moment in history. Fortunately, I made a big bet early, and uh, the universe has kind of caught up to where we are. So I do believe I'm going to build a billion-dollar business that is rec. Um, so I'm excited for that. And then after that, well, I'll say before that, like right now, one of the things you're going to see, um, you know, last five, six, seven years, I just put everything into building rec, and I kind of just like hid in a cave and was building the product. And was like, don't look at me, just look at this. Um, but now I'm really excited to like do it for me, you know? Mm. So I'm going to be continuing to build my own personal brand, which is exciting because uh, I'm about to drop a book in a couple of months. Around. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And it's around that whole curriculum that we we explain at REC, how do you get paid to be yourself? Um, and I love the fact that I can not say that in theory, but to just point to myself as an example, right? And just show people, yeah, this is what good digital strategy looks like, um, things like that. So you'll see me continuing to grow as a public speaker, um, you know, creative coach, you know, consulting and, and things like that. Um, and then after that, man, my next dream is one to go into architecture. Designing the space of rec has been one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Um, and wow, I'm, that's like out of left field. I was not, yeah, but it's not though. Cause when you, and it'll still make sense after I explain But you want to go into architect. Yeah. Explain. That. I'm already an architect, right? I've, I designed rec space, right? And I'm going to design other things. No shit. Look, I, um, <sighs> See, man, I wish we could talk for another hour. Um, but I'll say this. I used to think architecture was about building buildings. It's not. Architecture is about designing people. Mm. Someone asked me one time, they were like, yo, who do you think is the most important architect to your life? And I was like, I don't know who fucking built City Hall or this building or that. They're like, no. They're like, Ben Franklin. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, Ben Franklin designed the row home. And I, and I was like, say more about that. Ben Franklin, at a time where, you know, they were trying to get free from England, yada, yada, they were paying taxes. He designed the row home to be tall and skinny so it would have a small footprint because he knew that the bigger the footprint, the more property tax you would have to pay to England. Because he made that decision as an architect, the socioeconomic status of Philadelphia is the way it is. Low resources, high amount of population. My life is what it's been, right? So the idea of designing space and place with the understanding that if you do that intentional enough, it can design the outcomes of the people and the communities that li live in it. That's why I want to be an architect. But anyway, so that's one thing. <laughs> that's some deep shit. It's, it's real. Next time wow. I come back, dude, we have to riff on that, yeah. that level. Um, so I want to do that. I also want to be a venture capitalist. I would love to be able to use my wealth to invest in other people with young, brilliant ideas. Um, and then eventually, after those things, I, I think for some reason uh, I'm going to be always drawn back to talent management, but I don't want to do that anytime soon because it's a headache. It can be a big headache, but it takes a special person to be the 
to be the good person to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, I, I always tell people, cause I've had a few sit across from me and I've known a lot of people in that industry. It's a low competition rate. Cause there's a lot of assholes in that. Facts. There's a lot of really bad people. So if Facts. you're a good person, it may take a little while, but holy shit, are you going to stand out? Like yeah. once you get a couple to go, people are going to be like, Oh, I like that guy. Facts. You know, it'll punish you at first. Cause you're not a snake, but Facts. Holy shit, man. We need more of that in there. So I'm all for that. Yeah, man. But that's it. Uh, you know, public speaker, doing all that thing, just sharing what I know, architect, venture capitalist, and then bring it all back. A little bit of everything. Yeah. That's Cre awesome, Creative man. entrepreneur, man. That's fucking awesome. Well, you walk the talk of what you do. And thank, thank you, you for coming in here and, and sharing some of your story. I appreciate that. I like man. what's going on. I like the way you think, too. And I got to check out that TED Talk in your book. Yeah, please I want do. Those two things. How about this? One, check out the TED Talk. It's out. Um, my books just got printed, so next time I see you, hopefully you can come by rec. I would love to give you a tour. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to just give you an early copy. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, dude. We'll do that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, ah, brother. Appreciate you, I'll bro. I'll see you soon. Everyone else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me.